Broadcast from the centre of England, this is the Monty Python nee. episode nee. of Waffle On. Nee. Welcome to this new episode of Waffle On. My name is Meds and this is Kelly. Hello! And uh, first of all, before we jump into the wonderful world of Monty Python, we've got, as usual, the housekeeping to do. Which is the boring part of the podcast, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've got to, we've got to do it. It's, I, I feel it is our duty to thank those people who have actually bothered to listen. That's true, but we're so self-centred, we only really cared about <laughs> ourselves, so... Yeah, because I actually do listen to this oh, on my own iPod. You vain! <laughs> I nearly swore then. That, yeah, that's not yeah, a good yeah, start. That's how egocentric I am. Okay, so we've uh, we've had some wonderful uh, iTunes reviews, and I'd just like to thank. Uh, we, we we've got some reviews actually in uh, in America, and uh, as we all know, we can't um, see iTunes reviews in America or Canada. But uh, I got a good friend Kenny who's uh, who's let me know who's done it, and that's uh, so we'd like to thank the following: Jen, Dave, Kill, Kings Linkster, uh, someone with no name. I wonder who that is. Weird. Yeah, who would that be? We know now. The man could be that. No, the man Clint Eastwood. Do you think Clint Eastwood listened to this? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Do these jazz? I don't know. Uh, Kenny and Joe over there in Canada. Thank you so much. And in the UK, we got Dan Gellis, Mr. Riemann, and Alzarian. Thank you so much for your comments. It's very kind of you. And on the Waffle On podcast website, uh, Daz, Stu, and Jan, who's uh, who's very kindly left us some messages. So thank you very much. So uh, we're going to be talking today about Monty Python's Flying Circus. Uh, the actual television program. We'll briefly talk about the films, but not an awful lot. We'll go over. They can have a podcast on its own. I think we'll have a yeah. podcast on its own. And uh, what better way than to start off this podcast than to play the Monty Python theme tune? It's Monty Python's Flying Circus. Monty Python theme tune there do you know who wrote that? No I always thought he'd be um, he's one of the cast but he obviously isn't is he? No it's John Philippe Sousa and he's called Liberty Bell and he was free to use that's the reason why they used it Oh Is he still free to use now? I shouldn't think so no because they own it Bear my Monty Python so own everything You're, you're screwed there <laughs> yeah, yeah Oh some more money for Eric Idle but we'll talk about <laughs> yeah, that yeah, later yeah, on yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's bound to be listening. Oh, God, yeah, you know, yeah, bloody hell, like he's like. Anyway, so uh, the Pythons, let's talk about them first. Um, Graham Chapman was born on the 8th of January 1941 in Melton Mowbray in Leicestershire. And what's Melton Mowbray famous for? Pork pies. Pork is pies. Ah, oh, I love a good no, pork pie. No, I don't pie. like pork pies because I don't like the jelly in it. Well, you just take the jelly off. Mm. That's so you go, I never really thought about that. <laughs> That's why I work in a factory. <laughs> 
will tell you what, you can't beat a nice bit of pork pie, a bit of mustard, some pickled. Yeah, this is not the pork pie podcast. That's going to be later on. You can can move on from that one. That's when we get older. Welcome to the pork pie and pie podcast. (laughs) Now, that would be a boring podcast. (laughs) Unless you like pork pie. I don't know. So, So, Graham Chapman and uh, Graham passed away on the 4th of October 1989, which uh, was. 19, yeah, sorry. Which is one day before the 20th anniversary, yeah. and uh, Terry Jones was quoted as saying, "That's the worst case of party pooping in all history." Graham Chapman was, cla- you know, he, you know, he was my fa- he, to me. He was the he was the rock and roll. He was the rock and roll python. He hung around with Keith Moon, and he oh, was yeah. also the one I wanted to be. He, you know, he was the very austere, but he was also a bit of a raving maniac, wasn't he? Well, he was. He was certainly off. Off key, I'd say. <laughs> the thing with Chapman was because I mean, we'll talk a little bit more about him as, as we go through. But um, Chapman, yeah, as you say, he was he was friends with Keith Moon. In fact, Keith Moon was meant to be in Life of Brian, and of Did. course, um, uh, Moon died only weeks before Brian started filming in Tunisia. Oh. Um, when he died of uh, which? Wonder, Graham, I wonder who he would have done in that. Who would he have played in that? Uh, he was a, he was going to be a guest spot. Oh, uh, was a bit he? like Spike Milligan was. Oh, and, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And Graham Chapman. But he's, well, you know, was was trying to be a doctor at uh, university. You can't imagine him as a doctor. You just <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing is, when he looked after all the crew, all the cast and crew on Life of Brian, yeah. and um, he, he got really annoyed because of press reports about Keith Moon's death. Because everyone said, oh, because he was rock and roll. He was the drugs. It was the drugs that killed him. And he wasn't. It wasn't it was no, the it wasn't. tablets to combat his alcoholism. Yeah. And of course, you know, he took that, and if you had a drink with that, he doubled the amount of what the, the effects of the drink, and Keith couldn't handle that. I'll tell you what. Funny enough, about completely talking a different subject, it's a really good program you can see called Final Twenty Four, mm. and it's about Keith Moon. It's a really interesting story. It's like I saw that. Yeah, it's no, really good, wasn't it? Anyway, <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, Chapman was was good friends with those, and he was also friends with the likes of uh, Led Zeppelin and uh, Pink Floyd, which is the reason why. Um, Holy Grail got made, but we'll go back on yeah, that. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That later Everyone thinks Eric Idle yeah. was good friends, obviously, with George Town. Anyway, uh, John Cleese. Now, John Cleese is my favourite one. Mm. Actually, John Cleese is my favourite but John Cleese is mine because purely for the fact that when I was younger and, and really into Python, I was quite tall and, and I was thin then. Which, yeah. <laughs> and uh, mm. not to say that I'm, I'm amazingly huge now, but. Uh, a lot, a lot bigger than the world. But anyway, Chubby, and he was born twenty seventh of October nineteen thirty nine in Western Supermare. Interesting fact about John Cleese's family is that uh, his original name, not Cleese's name, John has always been called Cleese, but his father was originally called Cheese. Cheese, cheese, and he changed his name when he joined the army. Oh, for yeah. obvious reasons yeah, yeah. when you think about that's it that's not a good name in the it's army. not a good name to have with a group of lads you, you are going to get the mick taken out of you no yeah, question right, about yeah, it yeah. Uh, Terry Gilliam uh, 22nd of November 1940 the only uh, the uh, I'd say foreigner in the uh, in a group of python uh came from uh, minneapolis and a good old us of a eric idol 29th of march 1943 in south shields so he's a bit of a bit of a geordie then mm. i don't know if you call people a geordie from uh, south shields i wouldn't uh, i uh, i wouldn't I like to say michael from the team dog podcast please let us know yeah yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, terry jones uh the welshman from colwyn bay born 1st of february 1942 that means he was just uh, he just had his birthday happy birthday to you and michael oh, yeah. palin the youngest of the bunch uh born 5th of may 1943 uh proud yorkshireman from sheffield okay so that's where they all came from and uh, after schooling pretty well they went to university unlike us no because we are stupid <laughs> <laughs> and uh so um terry gilliam now this is 
I don't know if I've got this right, but went to a place called Occidental College, and I think it's in California. Which is a very strange word when you think about it, it isn't it? Yeah. It's like accidental mixed with oxymoron, and the very two words that don't really go together. Yeah, so I'm not. So please write in, please let us know. <laughs> Terry, if you yeah, are yeah, listening, yeah. uh, give us a job. If not, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Michael Paley and Terry Jones went to Oxford, <clears> and uh, Cleese Chapman and Eric Idle. Uh, went to Cambridge. Now, Cambridge and Oxford are very famous for their performing reviews. Um, Oxford had the Oxford Review, and Cambridge had the Footlights, Footlights which I think yeah. is the, the most um, famous one, isn't it? Famous one. And the, well, Oxford one um, gave us Beyond the Fringe. Which, oh, it's still pretty special, really, isn't yeah. it? And Beyond the Fridge, uh, Beyond the Fridge. <laughs> beyond the Fridge, you can see what's on your mind. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't eaten yet. Uh, beyond the Fridge, Beyond the Fringe um, in 1960 uh, was a, a massive success at the Edinburgh um, Festival, and that was with Dudley Moore, Jonathan Miller, Peter Cook, and of course Alan Bennett. Mm. Uh, now, I'd say that those are the you know, like we, we, we was talking earlier on about Spike Milligan, well, not early, earlier on, but before we started this podcast about Spike Milligan, mm. uh, who's going to have his own podcast devoted to him. But I'd say Milligan with the Goon Show is inspirational to Pythons, definitely, because... Uh, yeah, I, I, it'd be quite interesting. I, I just, do you think you ever would have got Python without no. the, the Goons? No. No, I, I think because it was the first time where maybe British radio with the public they realised that there was a lot of people out there that wanted the humour a bit different. Mm. And I think it opened the door that's what I think about it I, I don't think it was a complete lineage to it but I think it was all it was, producers yeah. thought oh people like silly comedy surrealism like surrealism uh, yeah. complete I mean you, you go back and, and listen to the to the goon show and I, I strongly recommend anyone yeah. goes back and listens to the goon it, show it, it, is, da- it is dated there's no date it is dated, it is no, dated. But there's an appreciation to it I mean you, you, Michael Palin always turned around and said it's like what we always say what, what anyone says who's young uh, turns around what? and we're young <laughs> are we hey. uh, <laughs> um, Michael Payne always turned around and said that the, the reason why he knew the goon show was good was because his parents didn't like it yeah that's probably right it's not music really isn't yeah, it yeah when your parents, so your parents don't like it then I it's was, obviously I was knackered there though because my mum listened to the Sex Pistols so oh. <laughs> I'm not even going to say what I'm <laughs> Uh, although Queen and uh, oh thanks for just smashing up the studio yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> smashing up the studio look you have to advertise yourself as being professional <laughs> so The Goon Show yeah I mean and then you've got of course Duddy Moore Jonathan Miller Peter Cook and Alan Bennett now Alan Bennett yeah. uh, known, known really now as like his, his yeah. plays you don't think anything. of him as a gag man do you <laughs> not really no he's more of a raconteur I'd <laughs> yeah. say but a genius in himself, uh, and Peter Cook. Well, well, oh, well genius, Cook, genius, and uh, and oh, and the same with Dudley Moore. Really, I mean, both of them have uh, passed on, and uh, we're definitely going to be doing a podcast. Uh, Do you think about Peter Cook had a bit of the um, him and Graham Chapman were like two peas in the pod? Because I think they were. That's why I like them too. Quite what a with lot. their slight um, yeah, self-destructive attitude. Yeah, self-destructive, a bit above everyone. You know, quite uh, saying quite a uh, no, not, and... not in that way. No, I think the self-destructive way definitely because uh, obviously Graham became well was an alcoholic, and there's no question about the fact that Peter Cook was. Well, he seriously was <laughs> he an alcoholic, was, and he was. Uh, he was like he's supposed to be not a very nice man at all. No, that's what I was going to say. That's the difference because I, I do. I mean, although Chapman became difficult to work with, and we'll talk about that in a bit. I think. 
Peter Cook was up his own. I mean, no disrespect to Peter Cook, but he was he was genius, but up his own arse. He was, yeah, and uh, a lot, a lot of geniuses. Yeah, are. yeah, well, uh, you know, Hancock. You know, I know you're not a big fan of Hancock, I'm but not, he, he big, was the same kind of thing, though, yeah, wasn't he? I'm not a big fan. The reason why, I, and I'll just say this quickly before people have a massive yeah, yeah. one is the fact that he, he didn't write his material for a start. Well, Chester Carrot, yeah, <laughs> and also the fact that um, he was critical against the supported artists, Kenneth Williams, Sidney James. Yeah. They were all brilliant comedy actors, and and Hancock couldn't handle people being funny no. around him. Again, like a lot of like a lot of comedians, are. very much so. So they all went to they did the reviews and to especially um, John Cleese and um, Graham Chapman. They got the chance to go over to Australia to New Zealand and end up in America. I and mean, while they was in America, um, John Cleese got to work with Terry Gilliam, who was at that point had become an animator. Uh-huh. And he did a. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's a. It's like a comic. You know, like nowadays you get like a photo, like in the in the, the tabloid newspapers. You get, you get like, like a, the photo. a story, the photo yeah, storyline. Yeah, yeah. He was one of the first editions of that, and it was basically about John Cleese's character fell in love with a doll, his daughter's doll. Ah, and that's and quite weird. It, it is really <laughs> surreal. Yeah, and um, uh, Gilliam just loved John Cleese's facial expressions because when you think of it, John Cleese does have the most manic look yeah on, he does yeah, uh, yeah. you know one of his authority thing but anyway they left university and went into the world of writing now John Cleese studied law at university and uh, and Chapman is a, a doctor Terry Jones was studying history um, honestly I don't know what Michael Paley was studying I wonder what he was probably being well, nice <laughs> probably being probably being such a lovely fellow, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and he hates that. Doesn't he? Well, Palin started writing with a uh, uh, writing cabaret uh, with Robert Hewson, and Jones was doing sketches with Miles Kington, and those two slowly got together, and, and their mm. natural bond came between them, and along with uh, Cleese and Chapman. Once they left university, they started doing radio series such as I'm sorry, I'll read that again, which I don't know. Well, no, I've got to be honest, I don't know. We're, that, that we're ran, honest about that. <laughs> that ran from '64 to '73. That's a long time. We don't it know is, about it. Is that's it? the thing though with radio series. It's like you, you've yeah, got, they're just uh, lost, in know, the, lost in the ether, lost in the ether. They just go, don't they? Yeah, I mean, just, just, especially the BBC who don't didn't actually record anything. Or no. if they did, they bloody wiped it. Yeah, let's not go on about the BBC. Yeah, yeah, that's going to be. We're going to. We try not to go too quickly with this, but we are aware that our last podcast was an hour and 40 <laughs> minutes long, and we don't know if people fell asleep halfway through it, but um, we want to get to the clips. Yeah, yeah, get to the clips. <laughs> get to the clips. Um, going to talk about now, they all started writing for the BBC, and the BBC at that time was a great place to work for because you went in there, you got sat in a room, write some stuff, and you actually, you know, sometimes you got to perform it, other times you were just writing it and they got to work with David Frost now I can't stress although David Frost said he wrote the yeah, Frost well, report yes. he didn't no. write the Frost and report. can I just interject mm-hmm. I just think with the um, talk about the David Frost don't you think it was an outrage I'm not, there was one Oscar one for Frost Nixon oh talk about the films the, the, I think the, the films of the year so far well I think in the last few years has been Frost Nixon mm. and that's all about him taking credit for things that he didn't do <laughs> but he, is a, he was a very important man but he, he was, was very important I think man. he did have a bit of an ego problem didn't he <laughs> well he did yeah but there again rightly so because if he didn't have that ego exactly. he wouldn't have got where he no, is today no. through the keyhole no 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 <laughs> he don't still do through he the keyhole he does still do through, through the keyhole I watched it the other day and it was Anton Dubecki's house how was. old is David Frost now oh, do you think I... he's in his 70s I think so he's yeah. got to be he, I could Wikipedia that but I'm not going to bother no, no. Um, but yeah, no. Just slightly going back to what you said about the Oscars, uh, <laughs> yeah. which, which happened yesterday. Um, yeah, no, totally. I mean, I'm glad Slumdog Millionaire won, but it was, also, but, mm. yeah, well, there was a few things that I said. Uh, that's probably the reason why Jack Nicholson couldn't be bothered to. Uh, uh, it's very strange. 
I, I thought it was all about being. The, well, the... First, especially as well that I mean, I think Michael Sheen should win an Oscar now purely for the fact that my the man's a genius, but also Frank Langella. He, he was a Nixon. He's, oh. he's amazing, and he's absolutely should, I mean, amazing. Where's where, anyway? But there you go. go. So David Frost, yeah. At uh, th- that time, David Frost was um, a big kingpin in. Um, I suppose you say it's a satirical comedy, yeah, political comedy. Yeah, and I, th- I think he was the f- sort of first to do that, so he didn't really have a title then, did he? But I no. think they'd call it satire now, wouldn't they? Well, yeah, and he brought together such a, a cast, including uh, Ronnie Barker and Ronnie Corbett, the two, now known as the two Ronnies. Ronnie Barker, I think he's one of oh. the most important comedy writers England, well, in Britain, Great Britain, has yeah. ever produced. Him and Barry Cryer. Him and Barry Cryer. Slight interjection here. Yeah. Uh, Barry Cryer's playing at the theatre here. Is he? Yeah, in oh, uh, June. Um, so, oh, yeah. Okay, sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they, and um, so, yeah, so they started to write for, for David Frost. And it was through working with David Frost that uh, Cleese and Chapman got their first own, if you, if you could say, yeah, that, yeah, television yeah. show called At Last the 1948 Show, which has just been released on DVD. And it was mainly a vehicle for Marty Feldman. Oh, no, Marty Feldman was class, wasn't he? Oh, he was the most strangest looking His role in Young Frankenstein. (laughs) You know, there's not many people. I think there's not many people you look at and you make you laugh. I know Vivi Bulba's eyes. But apart from that, he just just had a funny look. I think there's people like Tommy Cooper was a person. You look at him and you laugh. He never used to look like that. I should point Marty Feldman. What did he used to look like? Was was it some kind of something happened to him? Yeah, he had... I didn't know that. Oh, I can't remember it was. But I've got pictures in one of the... I think it's in Ronnie Barker's book. And he's uh, he, as when he was doing his early acting, and he he had like his eyes was just normal. So yeah, yeah, normal. But then he had he did have like a, he caught a virus, and that's what what, what caused his I'll eyes. Tell you what, that, that. No, I'll tell you what, that's worth the podcast alone. I'd subscribe to it for that. I, I've seen I've seen the guy who played Marty Feldman in a, a, it was a program to do with um, pi, the court cases of like Python, and it was the guy in uh, Red Dwarf, Confidence and Paranoia. Yeah, played, he's got uh, quite bulbous eyes as well, hasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so they did... Uh, it was a vehicle for Marty Farmer called The Last, At Last the 1948 Show. Also starred Amy MacDonald and Tim Book Taylor. Oh, no, but, yeah, no. He, he, he was my favourite goodie. Goodie, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, Tim Book Taylor went on to form the goodies after this, uh, which was almost like a... It was, it was like a children's version yeah, of Monty really, Python. Yeah, it was a poor man's Monty Python, yeah. wasn't it? It was funny at the time, but certainly because Monty Python wasn't on. And when you look, when you look, I mean, Graham Gardner, who's the other, there's three people in the goodies. There's mm. Graham Gardner, Tim Book Taylor, oh, and Bill oh, Oddie. Oh, now, Bill Oddie's <laughs> lost the plot, I think. But he's going to be, I think, the word special. <laughs> <laughs> he's into twitting. Not tweeting as in Twitter, but tweeting as in looking, yeah, but he don't looking even at birds. Do, he don't even want to do that anymore. Does he give that up? He ain't doing that oh, this he year. That? No? Oh, he's had a bit of a flip out <laughs> he's had a bit of a, a, a Johnny Cash and gone to live in a cave <laughs> that'd be cool if he did that <laughs> that was missed out of Walk the Line wasn't it? <laughs> yeah that, that was true that was Walk the Line now that was a rubbish film uh, yeah so that's what they did for, for a bit and then uh, not forgetting old Michael Payne and Terry Jones now they got the chance they did twice a fortnight and then they did a TV show called Do Not Adjust Your Set which was a TV, uh, a TV show for children and mm-hmm. um, this also starred Denise Kofi Terry Gilliam at this point had come over to England and started doing the animation for it and also starred a very young David Jason. Now, do you want to tell the audiences outside of England who David Jason is? I think David Jason is probably acting royalty in Britain. He did probably, I'd say, two of the... Well, no, he probably did the biggest sitcom in British history, which is... Only Falls and Horses. Only Falls and Horses. He was also in... 
Porridge, which won the biggest. He he, play, he was in. I think he was in. I'm so looking forward to doing Porridge when we do that. Yeah, we do that in a couple of Porridge weeks. is loads. He played know. Blanco in Porridge. Yeah, and he played an old man in that, and he yeah. was still really and young. also open all hours. Open all hours. He's just a bit of an amazing actor, really, isn't he? And it? he still is. And recently, he's been doing a touch of Frost. Yeah, and, and he did that thing, that fantasy thing on um, oh, the Hogfather. The Hogfather, isn't it? Yeah, and he was brilliant in that. I tell you what, if they don't cast him in the Hobbit. That's a crime yeah. because he would be brilliant in no, the habit because he's really. a great character. Like I know it's a shame, but yeah, but, uh, yeah David, and David Jason was actually hurt because uh, "Do Not Adjust Your Set" was uh, one of the last things that Palin Jones did before getting into Python, and I think David Jason felt a little bit left out. I think he would love to have been in Python. I can see why he wasn't in it. Yeah, because he's not have... really a writer; he's an no, actor. Yeah, and Python is a collective thing. So, but before they got into Python, they uh, John Cleese produced a program called How to Irritate People. That's brilliant, that is, isn't that it? That is brilliant. Yeah. Although slightly dated. And that uh, has a sketch uh, about a dodgy car dealer, which was the start of the parrot sketch, which was when Michael Palin sold um, oh, I think yeah. Graham Chapman a car. And yeah, really oh, yeah. Um, John Cleese and Graham Chapman also wrote Doctor in the House, which went on to become, become quite a successful mm. um, TV series. Not Michael Petit. No, you know. <laughs> and... Uh, Michael Payne and Terry Jones wrote The Complete and Utter History of Britain, which a great concept, which has now been took on by, <laughs> I should say, me doing uh, news at them. But uh, John Cleese phoned up Terry Jones with these immortal words, you won't be making any more of those. Uh, <laughs> which is nice, isn't it? Oh, that's lovely, yeah. <laughs> uh, and he, he actually didn't phone Terry Jones, so he phoned up Michael Palin for that. And John Cleese was desperate to work with Palin. Now, Palin at that point was writing with Terry Jones, and so well, I said, yeah, okay, I've got a friend as well called Terry Jones, and this is how Monty Python got together. It's pretty it's pretty special, really, isn't it? You think there's yeah. so many different people wanting to do the same thing at the same time. It just doesn't happen a lot, does it? Well, the BBC was eager for Michael Palin to have his own TV show, mm. and Terry Jones, being Terry Jones, turned around and said, well, look, you know, you have all the credit, but bring me along with... I don't mm. think he actually said bring me along, but... The two yeah. had, had such a good partnership that Michael Palin was a good team back on it. And Terry Jones came along with Michael Palin. The BBC wanted a series of Michael Palin, just Michael Palin's own show. Of course, you get John Cleese, Graham Chapman and Eric Idle involved. They're huge personalities. And this is the point of Python, I think, yeah. the importance of Python, where they are just a, such... There's not a weak person in Monty Python. No. Uh, I think everyone has their favourite one, like you were saying, Graham Chapman, mine's John Cleese, and there's later as I've grown up, Michael Paley, yeah. so I started to see more of the performance. That. Now, Monty Python, they all got together started writing. They, had, they stayed in their writing groups. Graham Chapman and John Cleese wrote mainly word-style sketches. Uh, Palin and Jones was very much the historical point, yeah, you the factual that, yeah, point, yeah, yeah. and Eric Idle was just out of the world <laughs> in just some kind of strange world where he was writing like nudge nudge, and but, yeah, and all these weird, his weird, weird kind sketches, of like, strange little sketches. And Terry Gilliam also did, uh, well, mainly did stuck to the animation, and then later did he, on, did he do no writing at all mm, on the? I, I think he contributed. Now, this is the, this is the important thing to say that, that although they had their writing partnerships, we've. They all improvised into each other's sketches. Yeah, yeah, like Grand yeah. Chapman and John Cleese wrote together in a room, as Palin Jones didn't. It was no. a bit like Lennon McCartney. That, Lennon McCartney very rarely wrote a song together. Yeah, they yeah. just wrote a song and they both added little bits in every now and again. Yeah. Um, it started in October 1969 and it finished in December 1974. There was four series, 45 episodes. In series one to three, there was 13 episodes in each one, but in series four, there was only six. Yeah, but there was a reason for that, because apart from it being... Not very good. Mm. 
John Cleese had left. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. John Cleese had left uh, after series three. Although John Cleese, he didn't want to do series three, did he? He didn't want to do. He no, was having no. doubts with series two. The reason why he was having doubts during series two because Graham Chapman's alcoholism had started to take its toll, in which um, he wasn't writing an awful lot. No, he, he, he was writing some. I mean, the, the Dead Parrot sketch, which is from series one, which we will play later. Um, John Cleese wrote virtually all of that, but it was Graham Chapman who turned around and says let's have it as a parrot and let's have it as a Norwegian blue well why have it as a Norwegian blue because it's got beautiful plumage yeah now that's just genius yeah yeah and he could throw in those genius bits of information but his alcoholism would become stronger and the reason why he became an alcoholic was he was petrified of uh, being on stage of acting was he? Yeah. it wasn't his like his sexu- it wasn't his sexuality no, no but, it wasn't. I, mean, I, think, I don't think he had any problems with, with people knowing that he I suppose in that world there was well it's a theatrical world yeah so there's a lot of people in that isn't yeah, that it's a lot more especially yeah. in the 60s in the 50s yeah. 60s, like, like nowadays and rightly so being gay is, is perfectly uh, yeah, you know, but, acceptable but in the in the 50s and 60s of course he was a bit more of a taboo yeah. of a stigma going on about it um, John Cleese <laughs> didn't know he was gay <clears throat> did he not know well no I don't think he didn't really fl- uh, uh, find it back well a little bit later on he did but uh, <laughs> yeah 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 but uh, he didn't know and I think John Cleese got a little bit miffed not because of the fact that he was gay but the fact he didn't tell him yeah. Um, so yeah but then again uh, it's none of his business really. well, some people it's none of your business well, no, is it what do you need know. to know well, everything yeah. about everyone anyway, uh, anyway the Pythons uh, came up with several referring referring recurring themes throughout the series um, they did 454 sketches that's a lot of sketches that is, isn't do it do you know how I know that because you looked up on Wikipedia no no I counted all of them <laughs> last when? night last oh my god <laughs> you need to get out more you no wonder my to... wife's got an holiday for oh. the week <laughs> uh, I can't well and that's not including although I do state because someone will tell that last night that does not include tying sketches and repeating sketches now why I say that right. you had what because are we going to talk about that now do you want to Yes, no. Well, oh, no, because I thought we were talking about this earlier, and we were just having a bit of a chat. What we're going to be talking about this? How much uh, preparation we do half hour before we come on? <laughs> my one of my favourite sketches is, is the four Yorkshiremen. But you were telling me today, all my life, I was thinking it was a Monty Python. It's not a Monty Python sketch. No, it's a Beyond the Fringe sketch. Yeah, but I, I just assumed because I only ever saw Monty Python doing it. Yeah. That's yeah. Just, yeah. Mm. And that, that, yeah, I bet you any money you saw that on the Secret Policeman's Ball. Yeah, yeah. The Secret Policeman's Ball, yeah. There you go. Um, the repeating sketches, by that I mean uh, Gumby's. Uh, now, describe mm. a Gumby. Well, <laughs> got, it's quite hard, I was going to say, because it's a, uh, I'd say it was a, it's a man. Yeah. Could you be a female Gumby? Was the female Gumby? Uh, no, there wasn't. With his le- trousers rolled up to the knees. Mm-hmm. Uh, a handkerchief knotted on his head yeah. that only British people seem to do in the whole world uh, then he had was it um, a tank top with yeah. braces is that what it was roundabout yeah and then Wellington boots and Wellington on. boots and spoke in the world like this and the goodies oh. completely copied it ripped and it off did, didn't yeah, they? they did. really bad didn't really they? bad that, they got sorted for that yeah. but a Gumby is back in the day in the 50s explain. and 60s uh, your average I shouldn't say well working class bloke yeah, yeah, yeah. when going down to the seaside would actually put a handkerchief on his on his head to stop the sun from burning him and they'd wear he had, the Gumbies had glasses on with little moustaches but basically they were, they were classed as quite thick people the Gumbies yeah. were and every now and again the, a Gumby would turn up and do a little bit of a sketch the same as the Pepper Potts and also a knight who would walk in every now and again with a sketch and slap one of the uh, one of the actors yeah, oh, over the head of a rubber chicken 
Anyway, so we're going to go into series one and we're going to play a sketch in a bit. But first of all, we've got a little bit of a advert to play. And here's the advert. I think if she watched Empire, she would want to watch Jedi. The way that Lucas planned it... Um... Star Wars A New Hope was supposed to be able to stand on its own and mm-hmm. so it does have a conclusion that's why we you know, chose it's not like watching Fellowship yeah. of the Ring where you're like oh I just sat here for three hours yeah. and this stupid <laughs> story just started <laughs> it's not stupid I know I know of course it's not stupid I love it <laughs> I'm Jen. And I'm Angela. And when you're not listening to this glorious podcast, we would love to have you listen to ours, the Anomaly Podcast. That's A-N-O-M-A-L-Y podcast.com. And that's the Anomaly podcast there, so go and check them out once you finish listening here. If you, yeah, well, Cause people some, people have, some people might have a life, though, you've got to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I've not listened to you, I'm going to listen to Anomaly. Yeah. Fair play. Uh, so we're going to talk about uh, some of the sketches now. Now, Monty Python's famous for, um, I'd say, situation sketches. Yeah, yeah, I think normal, pretty normal situations with just weird things happening. Weird things and surreal things. And yeah. there was also, they took from Spike Milligan the world where um, Milligan always said that uh, why should a sketch always end with a punchline yeah. or something like that and Python turned around and thought well that's a brilliant line. in fact that they, when Q5 came out I think it's Q5 they both come up with the same idea uh-huh. that you know a, a sketch doesn't have to have a punchline yeah. and for, so we're going to we're going to play some uh, Python um, clips for you now actually we're going to play the full sketches um, obviously not every single one because there's 454 no, yeah, that's a long part of the so we're going to play from series one the restaurant sketch which was a uh, Cleese and Chapman sketch and this is probably the only one that has a punchline on it and mm. uh, so let's play that it's nice here isn't it uh, very good restaurant three stars you know really mm. good evening sir good evening madam good evening and may I say what a pleasure it is to see you here again sir oh thank you well there you are dear Look there, anything you like. The uh, Buffon crude is fantastic. Oh. If I may suggest, sir, the pheasant à la reine. The sauce is one of the chef's most famous creations. Mm. <laughs> that sounds good. Anyway, just have a look. Take your time. Right. If you like. Oh, uh, by the way, what a bit of a dirty fork. Could you uh, get me another one? A bigger bottle? Um, well, something. I've got a fork, a little bit dirty. Could you get me another one? Thank you. Oh, sir, I do apologize. Oh, no need to apologise, doesn't worry me. Oh, no, 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 I do apologise. I will fetch the head waiter immediately. Oh, there's no need to do that. Oh, no, no, I'm sure the head waiter, he will want to apologise to you himself. Oh. I will fetch him at once. Oh. Well, you certainly get good service. They you really look you? after you, yes. Excuse me, sir, madam. Filthy! Gaston, find out to wash this up and give them their cards immediately. Oh, oh, no, 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 better still, can't take any chances. Sack! The entire washing up stuff. No, look, look, I don't want to make any trouble. Oh, no, please, it's no trouble. It's quite right that you should point these kind of things out. Gaston, tell the manager what has happened immediately. No, no, please, please, I, I don't want to cause any fuss. Please, it's no fuss. We simply wish to ensure that nothing interferes with your complete enjoyment of the meal. Oh, I'm sure it won't do. It's only a dirty fork. I know. And I'm sorry. Bitterly Sorry. But I know that no apologies I can make can alter the fact that in our restaurant you have been given 
A dirty, filthy, smelly piece of cotton. What a smelly? It was smelly and obscene and disgusting. And I hate it, I hate it, I hate it. Nasty, grubby, dirty, mangy, scrubby little boy. What? No. <laughs> Good evening, sir. Good evening, madam. I'm the manager. I've only just heard. And may I sit down? Yes, of course. I want to apologise humbly, deeply and sincerely about the fork. Oh, no, please. I was only a tiny bit dirty. I just couldn't see it. Oh, you're good, kind, fine people for saying that. But I can see it. To me, it's like a mountain. A vast bowl of pus. Oh, <laughs> it gets me here. I can't give you any excuses for it. There are no excuses. I've been meaning to spend more time in the restaurant recently, but I haven't been too well, and things aren't going very well back there. The poor cook's son has been put away again, and poor old Mrs Dalrymple, who does the washing up, can hardly move her, her poor fingers. And then there's Gilberto's war wound. But they're good people. And they're kind people. Together, we were beginning to get over this dark patch. There was light at the end of the tunnel. What this? What this? How about that? Could I get you some water? It's the end of the road. <laughs> So that's the restaurant sketch. Probably the only uh, one of the only Python sketches to uh, blatantly say the punchline. Yeah. Now in that, uh, the, who's the woman in that? That's Carol Cleveland. Now, did she actually have anything to do with it more than maybe they were trying to get into her underwear and she looked good? <laughs> but did she have any actual? Writing or did no, she? No, she, ne- she never wrote. But um, the Pythons, the Pythons couldn't write by their own admission. Found it extremely hard to write for women. Yeah, they couldn't do it. Um, hence the reason why they always dress up as women. Yeah, and those, those women are called pepper pots. That's what ah. they used to call them. Especially Terry Jones, who seemed to adore. Well, he loved it. You would have thought it would have been no, no. No, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's a Welshman. Good lad. Yeah. Um, 
But no, Carol Cleveland, uh, Australian actress. Um, no, I didn't know she was Australian. You know. Yeah, I, I, and she was actually there's there's two honorary pythons. Uh, Carol Cleveland and is it Neil Innes? Yeah, yeah. who's no, the, is it Neil Innes or Neil Innes? I Neil Innes from the Bonzo Dog Doodah Band, who wrote an awful lot of the music for for Monty Python in the films, along with Eric Idle. He's great, great. I'll tell you what he was He was in. Do you remember years ago? He was in uh, Whose Line Is It Anyway as well, wasn't he? Yes, he, he was. used to come in and do the music bits, didn't he? That's where I remember him from. Yeah. Um, no, so Carol Cleveland was uh, the only other woman who was a regular contributor, to, not contributor, but actress in it was Connie Booth, who uh, in 1968 married John Cleese. Yes. Yeah. And obviously, them two wrote Forty Towers together. Yeah. Um, it's actually uh, Connie Booth is the actress who does the Lumberjack song, and Carol Cleveland did virtually. With all the sketches in which really needed a woman with a low cut type, exactly. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. To come on, um, so <clears throat> excuse me. Heading back, keeping into um, series one. Um, that was a Cleese and Chapman sketch, and you could tell the the, the thing with Cleese and Chapman is that they like they love words. Yeah, and they love and, a, and, a Chapman, and Chapman locks a lot of anger in his sca- that or not. I think Cleese is the one for the anger. <laughs> Cleese is definitely one for the anger. But um, we're going to see hear a sketch now done by uh, Michael Palin and Terry Jones. Uh, as I said earlier on, I mean, uh, Palin's quite a, a proud Yorkshireman. He, he supports, strange enough, Sheffield United. Yeah, and, which, yeah, and uh, Sheffield, Sheffield Wednesday. Wednesday. Re- re- really doesn't make any sense because. That it, just doesn't happen. It doesn't generally happen. <laughs> but I suppose when you're living in London, you like It's a bit to, like, I think it's Paul McCartney, I suppose, who supports Liverpool and Everton. And, and Everton, yeah. yeah even yeah. though he's probably not lived in Liverpool for 50 years. Or well, Ringo Starr, ain't, is it? <laughs> no, no. That's quite clearly. <laughs> Miserable sod. Uh, anyway, so this is a, a Terry. This is a typical Terry Jones and Michael Palin sketch. This is called The Working Class Playbot. Great sketch. Oh, Dad, look who's come to see us. It's all Ken. <laughs> Ah, and about bloody time, if you ask me. Aren't you pleased to see me, Father? Yes, of course he's pleased to see you, Ken. All right, woman, all right. I've got a tongue in my head. I'll do talking. Bye. I like your fancy suit. Is that what they're wearing up in Yorkshire now? It's just an ordinary suit, Father. It's all I've got apart from the overalls. (laughs) How are you liking it down the mine, Ken? Oh, it's not too bad, Mum. We're using some new tungsten carbide drills for the preliminary coal face scaring operations. Oh, that sounds nice, dear. Tungsten carbide drills? What the bloody hell's tungsten carbide drills? It's something they use in coal mining, Father. It's something they use in coal mining, Father. You bloody fancy talk since you left London. Not that again. He's had a hard day, dear. His new play opens at National Theatre tomorrow. Oh, that's good. Good? Good? What do you know about it? What do you know about getting up at five o'clock in the morning to fly to Paris, back at the old Vic for drinks at 12, sweating the day through press interviews, television interviews, then getting back here at 10 to wrestle with the problem of an homosexual nymphomaniac drug addict involved in the ritual murder of a well-known Scottish footballer? That's a full working day, lad. And don't you forget it! Oh, don't shout at the boy, father. Uh, Ampstead wasn't good enough for you, was it? You had to go punching off to Barnsley. <laughs> You and your coal mining friends. Coal mining is a wonderful thing, Father. Yeah. But it's something you'll never understand. Just look at you. Oh, Ken, be careful. You know what he's like after a few novels. (laughs) Come on, lad. Come on. Out with it. What's wrong with me? Yeah, tit. I'll tell you what's wrong with you. 
Your head's addled with novels and poems. You come home every evening reeling of Chateau Latour. Oh, don't, don't. And look what you've done to Mother. She's worn out with meeting film stars, attending premieres and giving gala luncheons. There's nothing wrong with gala luncheons, lad. I've had more gala luncheons than you've had hot dinners. Oh, please. Ah! Oh, no. What is it? Oh, it is right as cramp. You never told me about this. No, we didn't like to, Ken. I'm all right. I'm all right, woman. Just get him out of here. Oh, Ken, you'd better go. All right. I'm going. After all we've done for him. One day you'll realise there's more to life than culture. There's dirt and smoke. Get out. And good on his Get out. Get out, you labourer. <laughs> Hey, you know, Mother, I think there's a play there. Get Agent on phone. Aye, I think you're right, Frank. It, it could express... It could express a vital theme of our age. Aye. Oh, shut up! Shut up! Classic sketch there for the, from uh, Pailin and Jones. And there you hear Michael Pailin doing a classic Python trick of actually going into the next sketch just as the other one's ending. yeah. yeah. Uh, Bruce, you love that sketch, don't you? Yeah, I, I love that sketch. I, I do love that sketch. I, I think especially because um, it was, you know, Britain then and still is to this day is obsessed with class mm. and North and South divide. Yeah. Well, you know, you've probably got it in probably. Which is now swapping actually. Which is now, but they you know, suppose they have it the start the same in the states, don't they? You've got the East and West Coast, and you've got people in the yeah. in, in, yeah. you know in the middle, haven't you? There's completely different people, and I think in a you know that is was completely reversing that and I don't think that I can't imagine that was done many times than that was oh, it no, I'm sure he was one of the first to talk about that you know that you know not all northerners are completely stupid and yeah. not all southerners are uh, completely posh and uh, completely yeah. posh and uh, you know at least at least great educated people I know I mean like any python sketch as well I mean it's I mean, we've tried to pick out sketches that sound good over audio yeah. because again that's a very visual sketch because uh, well, most over. of them are really I yeah. guess this is a shame with the podcast <laughs> well yeah I mean we could do the video one but again copyright would be a nightmare like yeah, that. yeah 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 uh, a, a classic example of a very visual sketch uh, which we was going to play but after hearing it is the Spanish Inquisition because I think that, that's another sketch that goes on and on and on and oh, it's, it's, a, in and out. Yeah, it's, it's all the way through that episode isn't yeah. it? it's all the way in it isn't it but it's, it's Terry Gilliam I think who no, I would just say, oh, with brilliant. the way he pulls that face yeah he's, he's got like, like a really evil little face really evil. He? he'd make a really good uh, Spanish Inquisition now out of series one uh, series one gave probably there's two sketches that Monty Python's extremely well known for yeah uh, the parrot sketch and this next sketch that we're going to play and it's the one that Python's quite well known for his musical numbers I think yeah definitely you, you look at Life of Brian The Meaning of Life all fantastic songs yeah um and this is probably the, the, the well probably their most famous well second most famous yeah song. yeah, yeah. Which is the lumberjack sketch? Now you're not a great fan of the lumberjack sketch. Nah, are you? I don't know. It's just been done. It's just been done to death, hasn't it? I don't know. It's, maybe it's like living with you for eight years <laughs> of my life and watching constant reruns of Monty Python. But I think I don't know. It's all right, isn't it? It's just then again, it's just it's a bit. It, it's the way it's like it's, it's everything, isn't it? I mean, sometimes when you've heard it so many times, yeah, you, you see, I'm not going too fresh. So. You can't, you can't not. Play it. You, no, it. you just can't. Can yeah. you? The interesting <laughs> thing about the Lumjack sketch was, was that it starts off on the TV series in which you'll hear the beginning bit where Michael Payne is playing a barber who who is scared to death of cutting, cutting hair. Because yeah. that uh, was a sketch before, wasn't that was, it? Again, that's that's what I was saying about yeah. Python goes from sketch to sketch. And 
but that, because of that they was able to incorporate into anything else thing it could have been him driving taxis it could have been yeah. driving a bus it could have been doing any other job and saying I didn't want to do this for a living yeah. and that's how they got away with it on the stage they would every now and again they'd swap their stage show around and so they'd go from one sketch yeah you know, they could have done like that from the restaurant sketch. Yeah, I never exactly. wanted to be a waiter. Yeah, for living, so uh, let's uh, sit back and enjoy some mounties. Uh, this one's for you, Joe, <laughs> and the lumberjack sketch. I didn't want to be a barber anyway. I wanted to be a lumberjack, leaping from tree to tree as they float down the mighty rivers of British Columbia. The giant redwood, the larch, the fir, the mighty Scots pine. The smell of fresh-cut timber. The crash of mighty trees. With my best girlie by my side. We'd sing, sing, sing. I'm a lumberjack and I'm okay. I sleep all night, I work all day. He's a lumberjack and he's okay. He sleeps all night and he works all day. I cut down trees, I eat my lunch, I go to the lavatory. <laughs> On Wednesdays I go shopping and have buttered scones for tea. He cuts down trees, he eats his lunch, he goes to the lavatory. <laughs> On Wednesdays we go shopping and have buttered scones for tea. He's a lumberjack and he's okay, he sits all night and he works all day. I cut down trees, I skip and jump, I like to press wildflowers. I put on women's clothing and hang around in bars. Trees, I wear high heels, suspendies, and a bra. I wish I'd been a girly, just like my dear mama. I cut down trees, wear high heels, suspenders, and a bra. I wish I'd been a girly, just like my dear mama. Yes, sir, I wish to complain in the strongest possible terms about the song which you have just broadcast about the lumberjack who wears women's clothes. Many of my best friends are lumberjacks, and only a few of them are transvestites. <laughs> Yours faithfully, Brigadier Sir Charles Arthur Strong, Mrs. <laughs> P.S. I have never kissed the editor of the Radio Times. And I hope you was all singing along there. Now, we leave Series 1 and jump straight into Series 2, in which uh, Series 2 has one of your favourite... Uh, oh, yes, schedule. How Not To Be Seen. <laughs> I think this was my first introduction to... Monty Python, so as well as having great memories of introducing me to the great thing what it is, but I don't know, it had everything I wanted when I was a, a kid, really. It had explosions. <laughs> I was going to say that. Is it because of the fact that you yeah. saw people being blown up? I saw up people being blown up. <laughs> and completely, is, that is, I think you technically call that silly. Yeah, I think, I, I, and I, I don't know for certain, but I, I, it wouldn't surprise me if that wasn't an Eric Idle sketch. Oh, yeah, that, that's one that's a shame. We can't, you, that you cannot describe. There's no, well, you can't play over a podcast purely for the fact that it is to do with, obviously, people who cannot yeah. be seen. And the most funniest thing of that is, is when they're, they're saying it, and they've got an open field yeah, with one it. bush in the middle, <laughs> one bush and they say, like, could Mr. Jones please stand up? Mr. Jones does not stand up. But he's chosen a rather obvious place. Yeah, and he goes, not to be he's seen. learned the first lesson not to be seen. He's not to stand up. Yeah. Yeah. But, <laughs> <it's> but. <laughs> oh, that's that is brilliant. Uh, it's bound to be on YouTube. 
Oh, just go out and buy the excellent DVD box set, which I did. The reason I got these clips. Yeah. Um, uh, season two and series three. Although John Cleese has stated that during season two he wanted to leave after season two because um, he was starting to think that some of the sketches were just rehashes. I think season two and season three bring some brilliant stuff. And the architect sketch, which we're going to play in a minute, is a classic Cleese and Chapman sketch. It's got anger. It's to do with authority. Um, because yeah, it's like yeah. the Masons and stuff like that, yeah, yeah, and it yeah. also gives John Cleese an excuse to absolutely go. <laughs> yeah, mad. yeah, what you love doing? Oh, he loved it. And when I used to do, uh, uh, well, I'll say it for now. But I, when I first had my Python books, which I started getting probably when I was about eleven years old, yeah, 10, 11 yeah. years old, I used to bring them to school and do Python sketches in break and all that. Kind yeah, of yeah, stuff. you did. Yeah. And the architect sketch is the one sketch I love to do. And uh, listen to this. This is John Cleese going absolutely mad. Gentlemen, we have two basic suggestions for the design of this architectural block, the residential block, and I thought it best that the architects themselves came in to explain the advantages of both designs. That must be the first architect now. Ah, yes, it's Mr. Wiggin of Ironside and Malone. Good morning, gentlemen. Uh, this is a 12-storey block combining classical neo-Georgian features with all the advantages of modern design. Uh, the tenants arrive in the entrance hall here, are carried along the corridor on a conveyor belt in extreme comfort and pass murals depicting Mediterranean scenes towards the <laughs> rotating knives. The last 20 feet of the corridor are heavily soundproof. The blood pours down these chutes <laughs> and angles flesh slurps into these large... Excuse me. Hmm? Uh, did you say knives? Uh, rotating knives, yes. Are you uh, proposing to slaughter our tenants? Does that not fit in with your plans? <laughs> no, no, we, we wanted a simple block of flats. Ah, I see. I hadn't uh, correctly divined your attitude towards your tenants. <laughs> you see, I mainly design slaughterhouses. Yes, did it? <laughs> Mind you, this is a real butte. I mean, none of your blood caked on the walls and flesh flying out of the windows inconveniencing the passers-by with this one. I mean, my life has been building up to this. Yes, and well done. <laughs> but we did want a block of flats. Well, may I ask you to reconsider? I mean, you wouldn't regret it. Think of the tourist trade. No, it's, it's just that we wanted a block of flats and not an abattoir. <laughs> yes, but of course, that's just the sort of blinkered, philistine, pig ignorance I've come to expect. <laughs> you not creative garbage. You sit there on your loathsome spotty behind, squeezing blackheads, not caring a tinker's cuss about the struggling artist. You excrement! You lousy, hypocritical, whining toadies with your lousy coloured TV sets and your Tony Jacklin golf clubs and your bleeding Masonic handshakes. You wouldn't let me join with you, you black, boring bastards. Well, I wouldn't become a Freemason now if you went down on your lousy, stinking, pollutant knees and begged me. Well, we're sorry you feel like that, but we uh, did want a lot of that. Nice though the abattoir is. <laughs> Oh, pfft, the abattoir, that's not important. But if one of you could put in a word for me, I'd love to be a Freemason. Freemasonry opens doors. I mean, I was, I was a bit on edge just now, but, but if I was a Mason, I'd just sit at the back and not get in anyone's way. Thank you. I've got a second-hand apron. Thank you. <laughs> I nearly got in at Hendon. Thank you. Brilliant Clee-style ranting now. That is a You know, I haven't heard that in absolutely years. It's absolutely brilliant, that, isn't it? You can see where he got his, his love of ranting when it comes oh, to Basil Oh, I think you can see where Basil Fawlty come from there. <laughs> it's just the two. Think about the two he's tried. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> a great, it's a great, great <laughs> line. Anything that we're like, can have a go at authority or have a go at uh, Freemasons. 
Uh, that would be, probably be quite cool to be a Freemason, actually. Um, so, uh, another great uh, sketch from Series 2 was the Election Night Special. Now, this was a part of one episode in which they were talking about politics, including a Mr. Hilter, who yeah. was also <laughs> standing for a by-election, which was obviously just John Cleese dressed as Hitler. <laughs> Hitler, yeah. Um, and they filmed that in just some of the streets on the outskirts of the studio, and they got some extremely strange looks of John Cleese in uh, back streets of London. <laughs> there was a lot of bloody Hitler. stars dressing up as them. Keith Moon used to dress up as, uh, as Hitler. Hitler. He <laughs> marched down the street, didn't he? <laughs> so, um, we best not keep talking about Hitler no, because no, we're no, talking about the difference between Frost yeah. Nixon and yeah. Fo- Frost gonna, Nixon. It's not going to be Hitler podcast. <laughs> That'll be later. <laughs> oh dear God, no. <laughs> Terrible. Uh, so we're going to play the election night special. This is a, a, a longer sketch, actually. And the reason why we love it so much is because um, on the Live at Drury Lane album, which is, I think, Probably where we first yeah, where heard we it. first heard it. Yeah, um, it's a little bit quicker on the live on the live album, but it's the oh, it's, <laughs> it's the names of the party. Brilliant. I mean, they take the mick out of, and so we all should. I mean, it's a very a serious thing, politics. But let's face it, they are in for the money. Yeah, oh yes, <laughs> especially in England. Um, but you know, if you're going to have a dig at authority, let's have a really good dig at it. And the election night special is brilliant because oh, you've got yeah. the sensible party, you have the silly party, the not so silly party, and So let's play the election night special. Tonight special. There's great excitement here at the moment as we should be getting the first results through any moment now. We don't know where it'll be from. It might be from Leicester or from Luton. The polling's been quite heavy in both areas. Oh, wait a moment. I'm just getting... I'm just getting a loud buzzing noise in my left ear. Excuse me, though. <laughs> anyway, let's go straight over to James Gilbert at Leicester. Well, it's a straight fight here at Leicester. On the left of the returning officer, you can see Arthur Smith, the sensible candidate and his agent, and on the other side is the silly candidate, Jethro Walrus Titty, with his agent and his wife. Here is the result for Leicester. Arthur J. Smith. Sensible party. 30,612. <laughs> Jethro Q. Walrus Titty. Silly party. 32,108. Well, there's the first result, and the silly party have held Leicester. What do you make of that, Norman? Well, this is largely as I predicted, except that the silly party won. Uh, I think this is mainly due to the number of votes cast. Gerald? Uh, well, there's a swing here to the silly party, but how big a swing, I'm not going to tell you. Well, if I may, I think the interesting thing here is the big swing to the silly party, and, of course, a very large swing back to the sensible party, and a tendency to wobble up and down in the middle because the uh, screw's loose. Uh, I'm afraid I can't think of anything. I can't add anything to that. Colin? I just butt in at this point and say this is, in fact, the very first time I've ever appeared on television. No, no, we haven't time because we're going straight over to Luton. Here at Luton, it's a three-cornered fight between Alan Jones, sensible party in the middle, Tarquin, Fim, Tim, Lim, Bim, Wim, Bim, Lim, Bustop, Fatang, Fatang, Ole, Biscuit Barrel, silly party, and Kevin Phillips, Bong, the slightly silly candidate. Alan Jones. On the left, sensible party. 9,112. <laughs> Kevin Phillips, Bong. On the right, slightly silly. Nought. Farquin, Fim, Tim, Lim, Bim, Wim, Bim, Limba, Stop, for Tang, for Tang, Ole, Biscuit Barrel. Silly. 12,441. 
And so the silly party has taken Luton. Again for the silly party at Luton, the first gain of the election, Norman. Well, this is a highly significant result. Luton, normally a very sensible constituency with a high proportion of people who aren't a bit silly, has gone completely gaga. Do we have the swing at Luton? Well, I've worked out the swing, but it's a secret. Swing, um, how about the swang? Well, I've got the swang here in this box, and it's looking fine. I can see through the breathing holes that it's eating up peanuts at a rate of knots. And uh, how about the swing? Well, it's uh, 29% up over 600 feet, but it's a little bit soft around the edges about... What do you make of the nylon dot cardigan and plastic mule rest? There's no such thing! Thank you, Spike. Can I just come in here and say that the swang has choked itself to death? Well, the election's really beginning to hot up now. I can't add anything to that. Uh, can I just say at this point, this is in fact the second time I've ever appeared on television? I'm sorry, Sasha, we're just about to get another result. Oh, from Harpenden. Now, this is a key seat because in addition to the official silly candidate, there is an independent, very silly candidate who may split the silly vote. Mr. Elsie... <laughs> silly? 26,317. James Walker... Sensible... 26,380. That was close. Malcolm Peter Brian Telescope Adrian Umbrella Stand Jasper Wednesday Stoat Gobbler John Raw Vegetable Arthur Norman Michael Featherstone Smith Northcott Edwards Harris Mason Frampton Jones Fruit Bat Gilbert will keep a Williams if I could walk that way Jenkins Tiger Draws Pratt Thompson Drops keep rolling on my head Darcy Carter Pussycat Don't sleep in the subway Barton Mannering Smith very silly. <laughs> a sensible gain here at Driffield. Norman. Well, I've just heard from Luton that my auntie's ill. Uh, possibly, possibly gastroenteritis, Gerald. Uh, well, if this were repeated over the whole country, it would probably be very messy. Colin. <laughs> Can I just butt in and say here that it's probably the last time I shall ever appear on television? No, I'm afraid you can't. We haven't got time. Uh, just to bring you up to date with a few results uh, that you may have missed, Engelbert Humperdinck has taken bow in Furness. Uh, that's a gain from Anne Hayden Jones and her husband Pip. Uh, Arthur Negus has held Bristol's. Uh, that's uh, not a result. That's a bit of gossip. And uh, Mary Whitehouse has just taken umbrage. Could be a bit of trouble there. Uh, Wales is not swinging at all. No surprise there. And uh, Monty Python has held the credits. And that sketch finished off that episode uh, on the stage version of that I think they turned around and said um, they just got bored of it didn't they yeah. case, I don't want to do this anymore because I want to go back to being a gynecologist that's why I like <laughs> that that want to be a gynecologist yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that was the end of series 2 now John Cleese wanted to leave at this and you can see that with Cleese I mean he, there was only two series of Faulty Towers and rightfully so yeah he was into quality not quantity wasn't he exactly yeah as the others wanted to carry on and I think there are some gems in series 3 um, and we've picked out three sketches uh, from series three which we're going to play purely for the fact that uh, it's the argument sketch the cheese shop sketch and the undertaker sketch yeah um, the argument sketch is just brilliant with words yeah yeah and it, it, you know people talk about the you know the most we were talking about the most famous one is the parrot sketch but to me and you 
That was our, always our. That was that, the one that, that we used one, to do. Yeah, that's the one you think that I'd like it because it still gets done these days. And instead mm. of the secret placements born, it gets done by other people now, doesn't it? Yeah. And that's yeah. how good, you know, such a brilliantly wrote sketch that anyone can do it and it's still really funny yeah so we're going to play the argument sketch for this was a uh, Michael Palin and uh, John Cleese sketch uh, wrote by um, Cleese and Chapman but starring uh, John Cleese and Michael Palin the original version of this um, we, we've only got the bit we've, with Michael Palin and John Cleese because it does go on it gets, it's this office that has um you can buy arguments you can yeah. buy being hit on the head you can buy going to make yeah, a you can be abused you can be abused yeah. yeah this is being hit on the head lesson. Yeah. but we just play the argument bit yes sir I'd like to have an argument please certainly <laughs> have you been here before no this is my first time I see do you want to have uh, the full argument or were you thinking of taking a course well, uh, what would be the cost? Well, yes, it's five. It's one pound for a five-minute argument, but only eight pounds for a course of ten. Hmm. Well, I think it's probably best if I start with the one and see how it goes from there. Okay. Fine. I'll see who's free at the moment. Uh, Mr. Dubake is free, but he's a little bit conciliatory. Mm. Yes, sir. <laughs> Try Mr. Barnard, room twelve. Thank you. <clears throat> Well, I was told outside. Don't give me that, you snotty face heap of parrot droppings! What? Shut your festering gob, you tit! Your type makes me puke, you vacuous, toffee-nosed, malodorous pervert! Look! I came in here for an argument! Oh! Oh, oh, I'm sorry, this is abuse. Oh. <laughs> oh, I see. Well, that explains it. Yeah. Oh, no, you want 12A next door. I see. Yeah. Sorry. Not at all. No, that's all right. <laughs> Stupid git. <laughs> Is this the right one for an argument? I've told you once. <laughs> no, you haven't. Yes, I have. When? Just now. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. Didn't. I did. didn't. I'm telling you, I did. You did not. Oh, I'm sorry, is this a five-minute argument or the full half hour? Oh, oh, just the five-minute one. Fine. <laughs> Thank you. Anyway, I did. You most certainly did not. Now, let's get one thing quite clear. <laughs> I most definitely told you. You did not. Yes, I did. You did not. Yes, I did. Didn't. Yes, I did. Didn't. Yes, I did. No, this isn't an argument. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. It's just contradiction. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. It is not. It is. You just contradicted me. No, I didn't. Oh, you did. No, 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 no. You did just no, then. No, no, nonsense. Oh, look, this is futile. No, it isn't. I came here for a good argument. No, you didn't. You came here for an argument. Well, an argument's not the same as contradiction. Can be. No, it can't. An argument's a connected series of statements to establish a definite proposition. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. It isn't just contradiction. Look, if I argue with you, I must take up a contrary position. But it isn't just saying, no, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. <laughs> Argument's an intellectual process. Contradiction is just the automatic gainsaying of anything the other person says. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. Not at all. No, look. I... Thank you. <laughs> what? That's it. Good morning. I was just getting interested. Sorry, the five minutes is up. That was never five minutes just now. I'm afraid it was. No, it wasn't. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not allowed to argue anymore. What? If you want me to go on arguing, you'll have to pay for another five minutes. But that was never five minutes just now. Oh, come on. <laughs> this is ridiculous. I'm very sorry, but I told you I'm not allowed to argue unless you pay. Oh, all right. There you are. Thank you. Well? 
Well, what? That was never five minutes just now. I told you I'm not allowed to argue unless you paid. I just paid. No, you didn't. I did! <laughs> I did! I did! <laughs> Look, I don't want to argue about that. Well, I'm very sorry, but you didn't pay. Aha! Well, if I didn't pay, why are you arguing? Got you. There you have it. Is it a hat? If you're arguing, I must have paid. Not necessarily. I could be arguing in my spare time. <laughs> That's a, just a brilliant play on words, isn't it? This is a brilliant sketch. Though, uh, and we, we, that's done live as well. When them two are on form, it's so quick. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, Cleese has a habit of trying to make... Yeah, he's uh, always trying to put it off, isn't he? Yeah, oh, brilliant. Yeah. Um, so then, we, then we're going to go on to the cheese shop sketch. And this is, mm. this is similar to um, probably the argument sketch I'd say yeah it's more of a just the wind up isn't it yeah. it's constantly winding him have up have you noticed it. as well that we've, we've this plane of sketches it's, it's Michael Payne and John Cleese yeah you're right, oh, it's right. always those two are doing it and I think it's probably because of the fact that they bounce off each other so well going back to uh, how originally Python wanted to start with John Cleese wanting to work with Michael Payne yeah 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 <laughs> you know what I was going to say then what? Michael Parkinson Michael Parkinson <laughs> that would have been a very different sketch <laughs> That uh, would have been very boring. Yeah, very sycophantical. Yeah. So, cheese shop sketch. Uh, interesting fact for this. Do you know how many cheeses are mentioned mm. on this sketch? I don't know, because you know me, when you hear the word cheese, I turn off anyway. You don't like cheese, do you? No, I hate it immensely. It is the devil's... Um, Spawn. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a, a word beginning meh, with meh. <laughs> <laughs> You can't beat cheese. Cheese is no, great. No, it's horrible stuff. Let's not get into it. Yes, it is. Yeah, because I'm going to have a podcast about poor poison cheese. I'll give, you, I'll give you a clue. Uh, it's the number that's referred to in Douglas Adams' Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Uh, uh, 42. Indeed. Here's Cheese Shop. Morning, sir. Morning. Um, I was uh, sitting in the public library of Sermon Street just now, uh, skimming through Rogue Herries by uh, Horace Walpole, when I um, suddenly came over all peckish. Peckish, eh? Isurient. Eh? He have all hungry like. Ah, hungry. In a nutshell. So I thought to myself, a little fermented curd will do the trick. So I curtailed my wall-poling activities, sallied forth and infiltrated your place of purveyance to negotiate the bending of some cheesy comestibles. Come again? I want to buy some cheese. Oh, I thought you were complaining about the music. Oh, heaven forbid, I'm one who delights in all manifestations of the Terpsichorean muse. Sorry? I like a nice dance, you force to. Anyway, who said that? Oh, my good man, some cheese, please. Yes, certainly, sir. What would you like? Well, uh, how about a little Red Leicester? I'm afraid we're fresh out of Red Leicesters, eh? Never mind. How are you on uh, Tilsit? Never at the end of the week, sir. Always get it fresh first thing on Monday. Tish-tish. No matter. Um, well, four ounces of kefili, then, if you please, stout yeoman. Ah, well, it's been on order for two weeks, sir. I was expecting it this morning. Yes, it's not my day, is it? Uh, Belpaese? Sorry. Red Windsor? Uh, normally, sir, yes. But today the van broke down. Ah. Uh, Stilton? Sorry. Guya, Emmental? No. Any Norwegian Jarlsberger? No. Liptar? No. Lancashire? No. White Stilton? No. Danish Blue? No. Double Gloucester? No. Cheshire? No. Any Dorset Blue Vinny? No. Brie, Roquefort, no. Pont Levesque, Port Salut, Savoyard, Saint Paul, Carré de l'Est, Boursin, Brest Bleu, Pelle de Champagne, Camembert. Ah, oh, we do have some Camembert. You do. Excellent. It's a 
bit runny, sir. Oh, I, I, I like it runny. Well, as a matter of fact, it's, it's very runny, sir. No matter, no matter. Hand over la fromage de la belle France qui s'appelle Camembert, s'il vous plaît. I think it's runnier than you like it, sir. I don't care how excrementally runny it is. Hand it over with all speed. Yes, sir. Oh! What? The cat's eating it. <laughs> Pazzi. Sheesla. Gouda? No. Edam? No. Caithness? No. Smoked Austrian? No. Sage Derby? No, sir. You do have some cheese, do you? Oh, certainly, sir. It's a cheese shop, sir. We've got... No, 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 no. No, don't tell me. I'm, uh, I'm keen to guess. Fair enough. <laughs> Winsleydale? Yes, sir. Splendid. Well, I'll have some of that then, please. Oh, I'm sorry, sir. I thought you were referring to me. Mr. Winsleydale. <laughs> Gorgonzola? No. Parmesan? No. Mozzarella? No. Uh, Pippo cream? No. Any Danish finbo? No. Czechoslovakian sheep's milk cheese? No. Uh, Venezuelan beaver cheese? Not today, sir, no. Well, let's keep it simple. Um, how about cheddar? Well, I'm afraid we don't get much call for it round these parts, sir. Much call? It's the single most popular cheese in the world. Not round these parts, sir. And pray, what is the most popular cheese round these parts? Ilchester, sir. I see. Yes, sir, it's quite staggeringly popular in the manor, squire. Is it? Yes, sir, it's our number one seller. Is it? Yes, sir. Ilchester, eh? Right. Okay, I'm game. Have you got any, he asked, expecting the answer, no. I'll have a look, sir. Mm, no. It's not much of a cheese shop, really, is it? Finest in the district, sir. And what leads you to that conclusion? Well, it's so clean. Well, it's certainly uncontaminated by cheese. <laughs> you haven't asked me about Limburger, sir. Is it worth it? Could be. Okay. Have you Will you shut that bloody dancing up? I told you so. <clears throat> Have you got any Limburger? No. No, that figures. No, it's pretty predictable, really. It was an act of pure optimism to pose the question in the first place. Uh, tell me something. Do you have any cheese at all? Yes, sir. Now, I'm going to ask you that question once more. And if you say no, I'm going to shoot you through the head. Now, do you have any cheese at all? No. What a senseless waste of human life. I didn't even know what a bazooka was until I heard that. No, I, no the only thing I know was either a bazooka Joe bubblegum, I thought it was, and I thought <laughs> it can't be about that, or a bazooka, like as in a, a, rocket, a, a rocket launcher, but now it's a Greek it's a instrument. It's a Greek, actually, we know it's in a... Is it a string instrument? It yeah, it's like, it's like a, it's like almost a, like a guitarish kind of yeah, thing. On your lap. I think so. I'm not. Oh, I don't. You know what? I wouldn't want to say. <laughs> no, I think, no, no. I think no. he's. In fact, we know, we know as a, a waffling. I'm slightly diverting, but we know I was in holiday of a year in uh, Crete. Uh, me and a good lady met a guy called Lester who bought one. What? Because he just he's a loves playing guitar, a string instrument, so he bought one. Don't know how that'd, be, that'd be a quite funny thing. You can get caught bored of that. I reckon that's in the back of a cupboard. Yeah, that's it. You're not going to play <laughs> Stay Away to Heaven on that, are you? <laughs> no, I don't think anyone should be playing Stay Away to Heaven unless you're Rob Harris. Yeah. Um, so we're going to we're going to play um, the next clip, which is the Undertaker sketch. Now, 
Python, as we said, like to cross the boundaries. Oh, yes. And you, we have to remember, of course, this is like the, the late 60s going into the early 70s. And um, the Undertaker sketch got a, a huge amount of... Compl- they'd done a few Undertaker sketches in Monty Python. Always pushed the boundaries slightly. And this one did get a lot of complaints, especially from Mary Whitehouse. Yeah, well, cannibalism is not, a, it's not a joking subject in British TV. Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you want to explain who Mary Whitehouse is to the people? Well, I'd say Mary... I don't know... Uh, I think how would you describe Mary? I think you'd call her Pan- a moral moral observer. Oh. Well, she thought she was. Yeah, she was the morals of Britain. Yeah, but actually, she spoke for such a small minority, mm-hmm. but a very powerful minority. And this minority was the religious. Yeah, there was a well. Yes, she was because she, she was. She really was, was. Her, her basis was of uh, going against the rules of of generally of the church, which yeah. meant her basis was anything that was like sex. You know, without oh. being married, uh, any well, kind she of sexual children's programs were even too Pinky and Perky. What was a puppy pig? She wanted them banned. She wanted those it was sexual. Yeah. So just because you're out, out, and this out was in that. the you know even not that long ago in Britain. This is what makes a Monty Python more amazing than yeah. Well, she, she was almost is. in essence like the Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> yeah. In I mean, that aspect, she literally. Uh, I mean, she was she was doing it on her own, was thinking that she was actually doing good. But of course, like anything in life. If you try to ban something or complain no. about it, I think no. you get the best advertising. It made it bigger and bigger. And Python it? did get their their fair share of uh, problems when it came to censorship. One big one, which we'll talk about later on. But um, this is the Undertaker sketch, another one of my favourites, and it's it was sketch. really well acted by uh, John Cleese. Yeah, it's it pretty near the knuckle, but it's a great sketch. Oh, and uh, Grant Chapman, and I think they knew they was going to get some stick from it because they actually oh, yeah. get the audience to boo yeah, 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 yeah. and uh, I think some of the actual boo was realistic because Python audiences in the BBC they, in them days like now you, it's really hard to get tickets for shows like Top Gear oh. or for stuff like that um, but in the old days you'd just turn around and they'd get people off the streets and sometimes you didn't know what you was get so some of the boos are actually uh, actually for real so here's the Undertaker sketch Morning Ah, good morning. What will I do for you, Squaw? Well, uh, I wonder if you can help me. Um, you, you see, my mother's just died. Oh, yeah, we, no, we, we deal with stiffs. What? <laughs> well, there are three things we can do with your mother. We can burn her, bury her, or dump her. Dump her? <laughs> dump her in the Thames. What? Oh, did you like her? Yes. Oh, well, we won't dump her then. Well, what do you think? We can bury her or burn her. Well, uh, which do you recommend? Well, they're both nasty. Uh, if we burn her... She gets stuffed in the flames, crackle, 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 which is a bit of a shock if she's not quite dead, but quick. And then we give you a handful of the ashes, which you can pretend were earth. Oh, or, indeed. if we bury her, she gets eaten up by lots of weevils and nasty maggots, oh. which, as I said before, is a bit of a shock if she's not quite dead. I see. Uh, well, she's, uh, she's definitely dead. Where is she? Oh, she's in the sack. Come on! She looks quite young. Yes, yes, she was. Fred! Yeah? I think we've got Anita. No! What? I'm on. Right. Uh, excuse me, um, are, you, uh, are you suggesting eating my mother? <laughs> yeah. Not raw, cooked. What? You know, roasted, a few French fries, broccoli, horseradish sauce. Well, I, I do feel a bit peckish. Hey, uh, can we have some parsnips? Hey, get some parsnips! I really don't think I should. Look, tell you what, we'll eat that. If you feel a bit guilty about it afterwards, we can dig a grave and you can throw up in it. 
Oh, you got to you got to push the boundaries. Yeah. Uh, so that was series three. Now series four, John Cleese uh, informed the Pythons uh, on a plane. No, due to publicity that he was not going to return for series four. Although he is credited as writer on it because uh, a lot of the the um, sketches used in series four was was wrote by him. You know, they, they just yeah, had yeah. you know they, they wrote and wrote and that yeah. he does make a cameo in it, um, but but he's not credited in that. Um, we're not going to play any clips of series four. There was only six episodes in that, as opposed yeah. to thirteen. And I think all of them knew that it was. Yeah, it was coming to its end, wasn't it? it just definitely, really was, definitely time to knock out in the head. Now, uh, before we go into the um, films and what happened to the uh, Pythons after the series, we're going to play the the most well known uh, Monty Python sketch, uh, which is the parrot sketch. Now, the parrot sketch is is brilliant, but unfortunately, we've heard it that many times. Yeah, and you just that it, I'm just oh, bored of it. Now, yeah. the, the parrot sketch, as we said earlier on, was originally conceived as a um, a car sketch in which a bloke was returning his car because it was falling to pieces, and you can see that sketch on how to irritate people. And this is a classic example of John Cleese and Graham Chapman's style of writing, in which um, Cleese would just chill out and uh, well so chill out be sitting there writing the sketch and then Graham would be sitting there smoking his pipe drinking <laughs> a whiskey and then would suddenly flow in strange lines and his, his contributions to this was mainly well change that to a parrot and, uh, <laughs> or why a parrot we'll have a Norwegian blue because it's got beautiful plumage and yeah. that's the genius that's of why it. I like that, that's, that's why I love Graham Chapman he's great <laughs> he's great so we're going to play the parrot sketch and we'll be back after then Hello, I wish to register a complaint. Hello, miss. What do you mean, miss? Oh, I'm sorry, I have a cold. I wish to make a complaint. <laughs> sorry, we're closing for lunch. Never mind that, my lad. I wish to complain about this parrot what I purchased not half an hour ago from this very boutique. Oh, yes, the Norwegian blue. What's wrong with it? I'll tell you what's wrong with it. It's dead. That's what's wrong with it. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's resting. Look. Look, my lad, I know a dead parrot when I see one, and I'm looking at one right now. No, no, it's not dead, it's resting. Resting? Yeah. Remarkable bird, the Norwegian blue. Beautiful plumage, isn't it? The plumage don't enter into it. It's stone dead. No, no, it's resting. All right, then. If it's resting, I'll wake it up. Hello, Polly. I got a nice cuttlefish for you when you wake up, Polly Parrot. There, it moved. No, it didn't. <laughs> that was you pushing the gate. I did not. Yes, you did. Hello, Polly. <laughs> Polly. Polly Parrot, wake up. Polly. <laughs> now, that's what I call a dead parrot. No, no, it's stunned. Look, my lad, I've had just about enough of this. That parrot is definitely deceased. And when I bought it not half an hour ago, you assured me that its lack of movement was due to it being tired and shagged out after a long squawk. Oh, it's got me pining for the fjords. Pining for the fjords? What kind of talk is that? Look, where did it fall flat on its back the moment I got it home? The Norwegian blue prefers keeping on its back. It's a beautiful bird, lovely plumage. Look, I took the liberty of examining that parrot, and I discovered that the only reason that it had been sitting on its perch in the first place was that it had been nailed there. <laughs> well, of course it was nailed there, otherwise it muscled up to those bars and boom! Look, matey. <laughs> 
parrot wouldn't boom if I put 4,000 volts through it. It's bleeding demise. It's not. It's, it's pining. It's not pining. It's passed on. This parrot is no more. It has ceased to be. It's expired and gone to meet its maker. This is a late parrot. It's a stiff bereft of life, it rests in peace. If you hadn't nailed it to the perch, it would be pushing up the daisies. It's run down the curtain and joined the choir invisible. This is an ex-parrot. Well, I'd better replace it then. If you want to get anything done in this country, you've got to complain to your blue in the mouth. Sorry, Gov, we're right out of parrots. I see. I've... I see. I get the picture. I've got a slug. <laughs> does it talk? Not really, no. And uh, that uh, sketch does carry on to uh, John Cleese's character going into another <laughs> another pet shop, which is exactly the same as that one, but Michael Piney's got a moustache on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which uh, we are, we, we oh. weren't going to play that anyway. Um, in 71, <laughs> before uh, uh, the actual series ended, Monty Python did a film, and it was now for something completely different, which was basically a refilming of all their famous sketches. Yeah. It was for the Amer- it was for the American it was market, for the American wasn't market it? Yeah. but that didn't really get didn't really get down that well for some reason. Was that before Hollywood Bowl? When was Hollywood Bowl? Hollywood Bowl was eighty two. Was it? Yeah, I thought it was seventies. No, no, eighty two. Um, but in nineteen seventy five, Ron Devillier or Devilla, I'm sorry if I've got yeah. your name wrong, uh, from PBS television station Kira TV in Texas. Was the man? Well, well said. Well, thank you very much. That took a bit of a <laughs> uh, Got Python into America. So this is the man. Anyone in America who's listening who love Monty Python, that is the man responsible for bringing you Monty oh, Python. Yes. And he was syndicated. Unfortunately, some stations took it upon themselves to edit Monty Python. This resulted in quite a big court battle because they put adverts in the middle of sketches. They cut sketches short. So often you totally lose the, the premise yeah. of Python. And I love her, really quintessentially English as well. And yeah. I think sometimes you need, need to see the whole thing yeah. so you can make your mind up on it, can't exactly, you? Exactly, yeah. I mean, uh, one, of the, one of the comments, we had a great comment uh, on a, a podcast called Take, uh, Taking Review by Rick Moyer. Uh, thanks, Rick, for the great comment, by the way, who kind of said that, wouldn't, wouldn't you get used to our accents? Yeah. <laughs> and this is us turning it down. And this is us turning it down. <laughs> um, so to, to actually, like any show, I think any artist, and rightfully so gets annoyed when you come along and you mess I mean Terry Gilliam is not a one for no, start no, to mess uh, with uh, oh, his no. projects and multiple and it was Michael Payne and I think it was actually Terry Gilliam and Terry Jones who went over and um, you know won the court battle and they, there was a lot of bad feeling going on there but slowly it all it all got resolved so that is the end of Monty Python as a TV series now before we go into talking about what they've done since and also the films um Cal, what would you say has been the product of Monty Python for you know artists since then? I mean, people have been influenced by. Yeah, it. well, you know, I think, well, in Britain, you know what is in such high esteem, where the new, everything new is the new Monty Python. Mm. Even this, that in what's it, two thousand and nine, and st- things still get called. This is the new Monty Python. That's thirty years after it's finished. Yeah. It, they don't call it the new Spike Milligan or the new. It's always the new. And we've had a lot of things that have always wanted the crown. Straight <laughs> afterwards, we had the goodies, mm. which thing again was like Monty Python light. Yeah, just silly with more than clever. 
and you had nine and not the not the nine o'clock news, which come from the same kind of area, didn't it? Mm. The footlights, yeah, David Lloyd and David Lloyd, and yeah. when the modern, you've got like, the Mighty Boosh, which we're both big fans of, yeah. which which I think per, for me is the nearest thing you've had to it. The way it had silly songs, mm-hmm. maybe people in America don't know the Mighty Boosh, but you should get into the Mighty uh, Boosh if you, and get it shown yeah, in America. If you're really into, it's not like British the Concords, but stupid, but really really yeah. stupid. I mean, if you're really into British humour, then uh, the Mighty Boosh really is the uh, checking out especially I think the first scene oh yeah, it's very it's very very British it's very surreal it's very hip mm. it's very good looking it's got bad effects in it which we both <laughs> we were which are yeah, we both love, fans oh, of you've got to love bad effects and of course as well you know Python-esque is in the dictionary yeah. as, as Jamie, oh, is it in, is yeah, it in, in the, the dictionary yeah. Yeah. anything that's classed as a surreal style comedy and I think Vickery's Big Night Out Oh, you know, I can. Sorry about that. I've completely forgot yeah. about that. You know, that's not about me. You can't get more Monty Python than that. The even bit, though, it, yeah. well, it's like Monty Python mixed with uh, Morgan Wise for our American listeners. Definitely, saying that very big editedly. For, for 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 like overseas end for like, I mean, you said for like the Concord, which is New Zealand. Yeah, I, I think that's the nearest thing there is to. That's not so much Monty Python, but I like the but the way it uses comedy songs. He's mm. very Python because mm-hmm. there wasn't people doing that, was there? Having no. silly songs in it, and you know, as you all know, for like the Concord's really big in America, anyway, isn't it? So, and so what about with America then? Who would you say was? I mean, because Saturday Night Live came along in the late seventies, yeah. which and Michael Paley presented quite a few. Um, yeah. Um, Saturday Night Lives, and I think you look at, uh, jo- I mean, John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd as a writing partnership. Um, I think uh, uh, pre- it does follow pretty well, but I think Steve Martin, Steve, I suppose uh, his earlier career, I think what he did on Wild stage, and crazy guy, yeah, but, yeah, I think, and his dancing feet and all he's that, da- and because he's banjo player, so he was mixing music with, yeah, with yeah, that I as think, well. yeah. I um, think he admitted he was a big fan of Monty oh, Python, God, wasn't he? Yeah. Steve. So he was mixing music with Yeah, with yeah, that I as think, well. yeah. I um, think he admitted he was a big fan of Monty oh, Python, God, wasn't he? Yeah. Steve Martin was. I mean, and with Chevy Chase, I mean, Eddie Cardle went over and did. Well, Eddie Cardle really just moved to America. Mm-hmm. I mean, as, Steve uh, Martin was. I mean, and with Chevy Chase, I mean, Eddie Cardle went over and did. Well, Eddie Cardle really just moved to America. I mean, as, oh, Chevy, was, you mentioned Chevy Chase there. He was another. <laughs> he's class. I was watching, you know. Fletch, watching Fletch of the week. You know, I was watching on YouTube. What? I was watching the music video to Spies Like Us oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> it's a terrible music video but it's just, every now and again they pop in because I was watching Ghostbusters video and I was watching um, what's the other one with Paul Simon Call Me Out yeah that's like, it. Chevy Chase it's Chevy Chase yeah, again yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, oh, Chevy Chase yeah, was, come on do a good film yeah, oh, yeah, yeah what's he do now it's, what's, I don't even know what he, he, he does all them rubbish he, vacations because the first two are brilliant <laughs> but when they start going down you know, you had that Las Vegas vacation that, I've still not watched that all either. that is absolutely terrible that is even oh. Chevy Chase is not very good in it, and that is saying something <laughs> so let's go into what they uh, what they did afterwards so John Cleese left Monty Python uh, after series three but remained good friends with them there was no real feeling towards it John I think it was Terry Jones always turned around oh Eric Idle turned around and said that the thing about John Cleese is he likes to be disliked He's not that bothered, do you know what I mean? And that's what gives him that authority. I, I, I think that's a good thing. I, think, I mean, that's why Terry know. Jones and him clash because you've got Terry Jones, who's a, you know, a, well, a typical Welshman. He's a lovely, strong, lovely bloke, you know, isn't he? Another, well. oh, another lovely guy. Uh, well, they're, all, they're all 
you can't say a bad word against yeah. any of them, really. No. I don't know what, you know, it's hard to tell me. Graham Chapman, it's, he can't... he's dead. Yeah, and as well, he, he was drunk, and when he's drunk, he wasn't in, was well, he? Well, he wasn't drunk all the time. I, mean, this is I think he was a bit of a functioning alcoholic, wasn't he? More than as He was a functioning alcoholic, but I mean, as I said before, his alcohol was alcohol uh, consumption was purely for the fact that he was not very yeah. confident in behind the camera, great, but you wouldn't think it, because he's so he confident. Is he on I mean, screen? Their first film they did was, which I think is huge in America, is uh, Monty Pie from the Holy Grail. Oh, well, he, he takes that role on. He, he's King Arthur in that. And he that, that is at Arthur. the height. That is at the height of his alcoholism. You That's can't believe that, that, can you? Yeah, you just can't. But he, he always was able to play a very, very good straight man. Yeah. Um, now, with Holy Grail, he was made literally on a shooting budget. It was filmed mainly in Scotland. Uh, in fact, the same castle he used about three or four times, just slightly redesigned and shot at different angles. And did you know someone who was in one of the extra? I did, yeah. I, 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 I did a computer college course uh, back in 91. And the main tutor there, who was a spitting image of Graham Chapman... Was it? A uh, spitting image. Uh, if you've How got the it? Holy Grail book, which is the same anywhere you go, there's the scene where they get Connie Booth, who's playing the witch, yeah. and they do the big scales. And the He's in the background, and he, you just look for a guy who looks like Graham Chapman. His name was Mark Zyken. It's a good name. Uh, yeah, and he got really annoyed because they spelt his name on the oh, credits. But yeah, he stood in for um, John Cleese when he was playing the Tim the Enchanter. Ah. as well yeah and he also does he does a stunt in it as well which uh, Winston Lancelot is running up and he's, uh, he's rescuing who he thinks is the princess where he's the prince yeah. you know he just he casually stabs that guard and he falls off the barrels yeah. he got paid an extra five pound to fall off to the, fall barrel. the barrels <laughs> no with health and safety you would not be able to do that for oh, five pounds anyway that had ropes when they need that bloody equity coming along yeah, having yeah. a moan Brilliant. so they did the Holy Grail now Holy Grail was filmed on a, on a shoestring budget and he actually had funding from the likes of uh, Led Zeppelin Pink Floyd and George Harrison um, George Harrison would later on actually star in the Monty Python film and this is the reason why um, they used coconuts in the film because they couldn't afford to get the horses and also have the insurance yeah. and training because at that. first they were, they're going to have the horses and but running behind the horses with the coconuts yeah, weren't that's they? what I was going to do that's yeah. what they were going to yeah. do and they realised the joke was better we were just the we've coconuts just, wasn't we just, it we just the coconuts um, a little interesting fact uh, there's another actor who turns up in Holly Grail who also turns up in Life of Brian uh, Matthias he plays in um, Life of Brian and that's the guy who gets stoned at the beginning ah yeah and yeah. he also is the guy who goes my eyes are old and bent that one oh, oh I love he that plays, he I, plays yeah. anyway, <laughs> I love Holly, Holly Grail did, did very well and uh, and this prompted them to to think oh, actually you know maybe we can do these do films every now and again they did three other actually three other release films um Meaning of Life, which was 1983. Live at the Hollywood Bowl, which is 1982, which, is, as it says, is was filmed over three consecutive nights at the Hollywood Bowl. And Monty Python's Life of Brian. I think me and you agree Life of Brian is probably not only the best Python film, but mm. I think near enough there in the top of the list of one of the best ever well, that, Yeah, films. that always comes up. Now, I was trying to think about this the other week, actually. You know, if you had to guarantee someone who'd never saw a comedy film a guaranteed mm. laugh obviously if they're not religious so much probably not I think modern religious people might be alright but I think anyway that's not the point but I think if you had to show someone a comedy film who don't know comedy films that to me is a great example of a comedy film yeah, it's got I mean, everything you want from it it's got a good story as well which is important it's a good yeah. story and good gags and anybody who doesn't laugh at the biggest dickest joke oh yes <laughs> no we used to cry at that and we oh. still do didn't we uh, we yeah. used to watch that before we used to go out we used we were, to go we <laughs> I was about Michael Palin obviously cracks up during yeah, the filming of yeah, that. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Now, Life of Brian caused, uh, got banned, I think, in Swindon. 
in England, but also got banned in a few states in America, and I think it's still banned somewhere else. I think it's still there. banned in, his, in, in Israel, isn't it? I think it. No, no, I don't think it. I think it was. It I think was. it recently was lifted. Yeah. And and there was a famous TV confrontation between Michael Palin and John Cleese. And it's on YouTube. So if people, on, yeah, and you watch it out, and oh, oh, I really should remember that guy's name. Yeah, it, it, oh, that's so annoying. So I'll put it in the notes when we put the podcast up. But the whole complaint about Monty Python's life of Brian was the fact that they were saying that he was taking the Mickey out of Christ and out of God. And the majority of people who was who was slagging this film off had never actually seen it, and no. that's one of my pet hates. Never criticise something unless you've seen no. it. That really annoys me. And the big flaw of all that, it can't be taking the mickey out of Jesus, because Jesus is in it. Jesus is in it, <laughs> yeah, Jesus is in it only once. And the whole premise of Monty Python's Life of Brian is the fact that you see Jesus in the beginning on the scene. Yeah, you mates, see him, it's not Jesus. And they go there to hear, they go to hear, to hear his sermon, but they can't hear him, so they have to shout at him to, to speak yeah, out. Yeah. And, but the, the film actually starts off with Brian being born. Brian's born on the same day as Christ. And the three wise men walk into the wrong stable and praise, you know, praise, who yeah, should we yeah. call him? Oh, we call him O'Brien. And then as they walk out after leaving all the gifts, they see the, the proper, you know, yeah. oh, there he is. He's got the, he's, you know, yeah, the yeah, lights of that. He's obviously Christ. And they go in and they, they, get, they take the gifts back. And that's the whole point. And John Cleese says a very funny line in that, in which he does probably is the one thing that anger people. And he goes, I think you're the Messiah, and I should know because I followed a few. few. Yeah, that's what people didn't like, did they? That's the thing they didn't like, you know? And I think it's stupid because it is just a comedy film. Nowadays, obviously, it would, nobody would even think about it. If that came out two. now, it wouldn't get the. But that's the point, because well, the whole thing as well is what we were saying earlier on. There's nothing nothing better than bad publicity, to oh, some degree. Because, it's worth you know, a comedy. It's worth people a comedy. People don't never learn, never no, learn. And there shouldn't be any boundaries of comedy. So, Life of Brian is, is, was their um, second to last film, Meaning of Life. is a sketch film, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's hit and miss, isn't it? It's got some great sketches in it, and oh. then some of them are just a bit. A bit it's, some of it, it's gross, and I never thought of Monty Python as being gross out. But no. Mr. Creosote, you can't get a more creative. Well, it's, it's a great a, sketch, though. It's a great, but it's, it, it changed for the times, hasn't it? And I think. The, yeah. the jokes are more sexual, weren't they? Yeah, yeah with I the mean, Catholics uh, at the beginning, yeah, and that joke, the, yeah. and, the, and the sex education. They would, they never would have done that in the series, no. would they? I mean, you had um, the song um, "Every Sperm Is Sacred," which yeah. is an absolutely brilliant, a uh, brilliant song, and and pretty good. But that is again, that's a re- the reason why that's so well wrote is because on the one side of the road you had where the Protestants, Protestants were, were and yeah. then on the other side of the road you had where the Catholics, Catholics were and yeah. it was almost a slight dig there at the problems that was going on at the time in Northern Ireland yeah. where obviously in Protestant you could use contraception and on the Catholic side you couldn't use contraception yeah. so they was having loads and yeah, loads of children the and, the problems, and it was also was probably I suppose to some degree having a dig at like the problems in Africa as well. I suppose so there's, that, yeah. there's very much political agenda. I think it has changed a bit, hasn't it? I think it was of its time. It was you know it was the eighties. People are a bit more political savvy. And well, political satire was coming in, especially yeah. stuff like Ben Alton. Yeah, uh, not the nine o'clock news. Not the nine o'clock news. And spitting image, I suppose, was starting up around about eighty three. ish wasn't it? Going into that. Um, so that was probably although the death scene as you mentioned earlier on with the salmon moose which is an ad lib by Michael Paley was just fantastic and there's some really good uh, good sketches in there it's just not the one you'd if you're going to watch it, it's the, the one you'd it's thirdly the, the think third about one it, that that you that's, yeah. and it always will be like that and it's really long as well yeah. it's a long film a bit like Return of the Jedi like that isn't it it's the one you don't really want to watch but it's alright well no Phantom Menace no, I mean no. oh no let's not, I don't, class, the them clones, as, I don't class them as the Star Wars films <laughs> I've told you before do not mention them new films <laughs> um, so then of course Python disbanded they didn't do anything else apart from doing the secret policeman's balls which is a charity <laughs> I always laugh at that yeah yeah no, yeah <laughs> 
which is a charity organisation from Amnesty International, and they did quite a few of those. And I think they're all excellent to go to to see. They are apart from the late eighties one where it was a music spectacular. Yeah, 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 just, yeah, just weren't very good at all. So. After Python, what did they do? So I'm just going to read out a few of the things that the, the key members of Monty Python did. Cal, just throw in some of your... I mean, for a start, John Cleese wrote probably the best sitcom. Uh, yeah. under, uh, the, along the leagues of probably original Only Falls and Horses, not the later series. No, no, no. Blackadder and Forty Towers. There's, for a two, there's not many better two series sitcoms than Forty Towers. Yeah. And there was a really terrible American version of that. We've never saw it, wasn't there? And, and you know what's terrible about it? It was a woman playing the... No, they took out the character of Basil. Took it out completely? <laughs> yeah. So how did they do that then? Well, you asked me. That's <laughs> You'd love to see it. Would I? You would? Well, I'd, I'd give it a go. <coughs> Just Just be on it. YouTube. You ever looked on YouTube for it? No. <laughs> do you want to? No. no. <laughs> uh, Cleese also did a, a, a company called Video Arts, which was the uh, it's a corporate thing in which he did video training for businesses, um, which made him an absolute shitload of money. Uh, and really John Cleese good. likes the Wonga. He likes the Wonga, <laughs> bless him, and meerkats. Uh, yeah, he, and loves, he loves yeah, meerkats. Yeah, yeah, uh, right. He also did. Uh, he was in a couple of episodes of Cheers as a psychologist. Psycho- a psychologist. Uh-huh. Um, Silverado, in which he first met Kevin Klein. Brilliant. It's a cowboy film. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, Clockwise, which I love. I, oh, love I like Clockwise, Clockwise. well. Such I a like great that. 80s English Yeah, and it's got, it gets no praise, does it? It's like oh, a no. forgotten gem, I and that, think. That should be, that's a bit like, I think, one of those things where we turn around and say, you know, certain films should get be given a really good DVD release. Yeah, and that's Clockwise. Can should, you get it on DVD, Clockwise? I think, but it's a really bad print. It's a bit yeah. like... Um, Planes, trains, and automobiles. Oh, you know that that oh. film should be given a yeah, really good DVD, DVD release. Yeah, got a really good one. Uh, he also played Q uh, in the later Bond yeah. films, which uh, I, think I he thought, thought he, he was a great Q. I think but... he was thinking he was going to be a bigger thing, but it just the whole well, tone of Bond. Well, well, well Pierce, oh, <laughs> Pierce Brosnan. Let's got... not just go there and yeah, die another day. Yeah. Um, uh, but his best film we did was A Fish Called Wanda. Oh, yes. You know what you've missed off there as well. What? <coughs> No, it wasn't. It was in Fierce Creatures. He wasn't, was he? He was, yeah. Fierce Creatures. No, do you know the reason why I've missed Fierce Creatures? Why? Because I don't like it. Because it's rubbish. No, actually, oh, yeah. well, you can't, actually, I can't remember any of it. Well, there you go. Oh, thanks for interrupting yeah. my flow. But, you know, in your head, you think it's going to be because it had all the same cast, didn't it? You think it's going to be brilliant? Well, uh, Fierce Creatures is a very bad. Well, it's, it's not actually a sequel to A Fish Called Wonder because they were playing different no, characters. Yeah, but it's bringing back yeah, the yeah, actors. Yeah. It's sort of like you had Jamie Lee Curtis, Kevin Klein, Ronnie Corbett, and Michael Payne. Now, let's let's not talk about. No, it's it's a, not a very good film. No, it isn't. It, you, it should well, have been. Everything it should was have been, right. Yeah. Everything was well, it's right. just one of those things. Yeah. You know, the England football team's a classic example. Yeah, yeah. All the greatest players there, but we're rubbish. Yeah. Um, but a fish called Wonder. Michael Palin is brilliant in that as the stu- as the, the stuttering guy. Um, but Kevin Klein, I think, steals the show. Yeah. Touch your dick and you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> Don't call me stupid. <laughs> Don't call me stupid. <laughs> uh, Michael Paley went on to do uh, Private Fun. Well, actually, went and did uh, with Terry Jones, Ripping Yarns, which is slightly dated you now, but they have yeah. some great, great episodes. Great bits in it. Now. A lot of filler. Tommy from School Days. Uh, yeah, the... the um, the the thing- yeah, that's brilliant. Uh, the Claw. The Claw. Oh, yeah, the one with the Claw. Great. And the football team. Yeah. I think the thing with that is well, they're nailing to the school and the school bullying that is yeah I don't know who is it Ian Ogilvy who went on to do play the Return of the Saint dun, dun, yeah, oh, yeah. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> um, but he went on to do some films for handmade films which is the George Harris film which of course as I was saying he, he was in Life of Brian George Harris from very fleetingly uh, Private Function The Missionary and Brazil now I just want to talk a little bit about Brazil not that we're going to go along to this because we're already you one could... minute 36 into it but yeah. um 
Brazil is obviously a Terry Gilliam directed film and I still for the life of me I still cannot get that really good DVD you can get it in America on the, the, criterion the criterion edition, edition. Yeah. but it's so much money on eBay if anyone wants to send me a copy please do <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. but for, let's just say well, the reason why I like that for a start one is really well directed Jonathan Price is brilliant in it you got Bob Hoskins you got Robert De Niro who wanted the Michael Palin role mm. but Terry Gilliam and fair play to him turned around and said I'm sorry Michael Palin's playing that the reason why it works for Michael Palin is because Michael Palin is always well known as being the nice guy in Montreal and he is a nice guy I've met him personally yeah. I don't know him personally but I have met him personally and he is just a wonderful guy and he plays a nice guy in that film until you see him doing his job yeah. which is that of a torturer and he is really nasty in it it's a bit like you always think of Lawrence Olivier as being a really, you know, theatrical classic actor, and then seeing him in Marathon Man. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, you suddenly yeah, think, yeah, oh my yeah, god, you know. uh, Eric Idle went off. Uh, oh, sorry, before we leave Michael Palin, Michael Palin now is more well known for doing travel programs around the world in eighty days. Has just celebrated twenty years, twenty years ago. That makes me feel old. Groundbreaking program that is around the world in eighty days with Michael Palin. Well, he's been copied to death in in England now, hasn't oh, he? Yeah. yeah. Well, he's did about three or four different uh, ones: pole to pole, full circle. Yeah. he did Hemingway's Adventures as well which yeah, is all about Sahara and Sahara and recently uh, New New Europe wasn't it he did yeah that, yeah that was the weaker one it was the weaker one I thought it was really, still really yeah, good was, anything that he's just his age now he can't he can't, well, be, you can't expect a guy of, in mid 60s going yeah, around yeah kind of being around the world and Alan Wicker was doing it but there you go every card we wanted to do Rutland TV which is the Rawls which is a parody of the Beatles yeah. uh, I thought that I think that's okay I think it's that's okay. he's redone another one of those and apparently not involving any of the other roles <laughs> Neil Innes <laughs> wasn't too happy about that no uh, Nuns on the Run which isn't a bad film Splitting Airs which was a diabolical um, he did that one as well they got all the Razzies for uh, something to do with Hollywood oh he did didn't he Reese uh, last yeah, year which was pretty bad uh, And but he's most well known now for recreating uh, a Holy Grail as Spamalot you know, uh, you've saw it. that, haven't you? you I have seen it. I, I went to see it um, at the at the West End, and uh, I mean, I'd love to have seen Tim Curry in it. Actually, well, the, the people who, who was played, it when you were doing it? I, not a well known actor. No. Although he was brilliant, he I was brilliant. Mean, he, but you wanted to see Tim Curry. I wanted to see, which I knew were going. But because you're a big fan of Tim Curry, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got the same nose as him, which is doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, the the really thing that annoyed me slightly was the fact that about a month after I saw that version of Spamalot, Peter Davison took the role. Oh, and I'd love to see Peter Davison. Yeah, this thing could have been better you could have had the Gary, Mil- Gary Wilmot one because <laughs> he did it for a bit as well and you know who's just done it no he no. wasn't Gary Wilmot he was the man out of uh, the Kumars at, at uh, what is that Gary Wilmot I have no idea <laughs> that's really disturbing that is an obscure uh, thing <laughs> uh, but Alan Dale has just done it did a four month review uh, and uh, we know Alan Dale as Jim Robinson Jim Dale was in the OC um, Ugly Betty and he's in something new starring uh, I don't know where he's no. Who cares? Um, Terry Jones did a lot of directing. Did Eric the Viking, Wind in the Willows. Uh, he also wrote the screenplay for Labyrinth. Yeah, I never knew that, and I was a big fan of that because I had my hair like uh, Lamal's in it. <laughs> That's nothing Not Lamal, like Derby Bowie. Yeah. <laughs> no, Lamal did. You had it like Lamal. Lamal, I did have my hair like Lamal. I did. Yeah. <laughs> and he, he's wrote several books on uh, medieval and ancient history. Now Terry Gilliam, we know what uh, Terry Gilliam's been up to. He did Brazil, Twelve Monkeys, um, Jabberwocky, Fisher King, Time Bandits. Uh, the man who killed Don Quixote 
And as recently, his, his recent, most recent film is The Imaginarium with Dr. Panassas, which did star Heath Ledger. And he's Ledger. doing Don Coyote now, isn't he? He's, he's, yeah, he's, he's been given the right to do it. it. Um, yeah, Terry Gilliam actually renounced his America's... He had holding dual citizenship with Britain and America, but he renounced his citizenship in January uh, 2006 because of George Bush. I bet he regrets doing that now. Yeah, I was going to say. No, is, that how he, is that how he got uh, a fellowship at the BAFTA then? Because he's a British he's citizen He's a British now. citizen, yeah. Oh. Ah. Oh. That's well it. done. There you go. That's suited him, didn't it? Now, Graham Chapman, obviously, as we said, uh, Graham died uh, on the eve of the Python's um, 20th anniversary. He'd done uh, Yellow Beard, the odd job, and he was more famous for actually doing a lot of American tours, doing a lot of college tours. Yeah, and his last thing was the Iron Maiden video, he wasn't was it? For, yeah. uh, can I play? Was it Can I Play with Madness, or was it? I don't know. He played the head teacher in that. Yeah, he played the head teacher. He was quite ill at that point. And and I've got on videotape with the Python anniversary and he was in a wheelchair at that point. And um, he, uh, yes, as we say, uh, sadly he died of uh, throat cancer. Um, he thought he was getting better and John Cleese Michael Palin and I think Terry Gilliam was at his uh, at his side when he died now I'm just going to play you um, a clip from his memorial which is brilliant which is brilliant and this is uh, quite touching and it's uh, John Cleese's tribute to Graham Chapman Graham Chapman co-author of the parrot sketch is no more he has ceased to be for rest of life he rests in peace kicked the bucket, hopped the twig, bit the dust, snuffed it, breathed his last, and gone to meet the great head of light entertainment in the sky. And I guess that we're all thinking how sad it is that a man of such talent, of such capability for kindness, of such unusual intelligence, should now so suddenly be spirited away at the age of only 48 before he'd achieved many of the things of which he was capable and before he'd had enough fun. Well, I feel that I should say nonsense. Good riddance to him, the freeloading bastard I hope he's <laughs> And the reason I feel I should say this he would never forgive me if I didn't, if I threw, threw away this glorious opportunity to shock you all on his behalf. <laughs> Anything for him but mindless good taste. I could hear him whispering in my ear last night as I was writing this, all right, please, he was saying, you're very proud of being the very first person ever to say shit on British television. If this service is really for me, just for starters, I want you to become the first person ever at a British memorial service to say fuck. <laughs> Fitting words, though, I think, for the, the late, great Graham Chapman. He was a great, that was, he's just brilliant, that was, isn't he? <laughs> um, so that's the, at the end of our uh, Monty Python episode of Waffle On. Um, Python, for me, has always been with me ever since I was probably a young boy from uh, must be the age of five since I knew about 
comedy and yeah. TV, and uh, he will always will be. I think you're about the same. Really, yeah, but I think it was sort of the thing that me and you quite bonded on, wasn't it? Really, mm. like when we first met at like uh, school, wasn't it? That we were both into Monty Python, and most of the normal people, as we call them, <laughs> normal people, boring yeah. people, as I call them, we didn't like things like that, did they? That's no, what, like no. something from that old. We yeah, something with with uh, with humour. Yeah, uh, so it's probably the most we was left alone at school. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's the end of that. So thank you for joining us for this episode of Waffle On. Next episode is going to be dedicated to, well, we're going to waffle on about Porridge, Porridge. Uh, which is a classic 70s uh, BBC comedy starring Ronnie Barker. So if you have any comments, please send it over to waffle on podcast at e- no. <laughs> no. waffle on podcast at googlemail.com. Um, we're going to leave on a song. Um, this is now the most played song at funerals. Which I think is pretty good. That's yeah, any, any, uh, any notch on anyone's epitaph at the end of the day. And also because of the way that uh, the world is at the moment, the economic climate, where everyone's having a bad time, uh, including our place of work. Us, uh, yeah. Two people unfortunately lost their jobs. So we send this out to uh, to you, and we also send it out to uh, Rico at Trek to Sci-Fi, who lost his job as well. Uh, we feel for you, so we're playing this. So I hope you'll cheer you up and stay at the end of this uh, song for another little advertisement. And we'll see you all next time. Cheerio. Goodbye. Cheer up, Brian. You know what they say? Some things in life are bad. They can really make you mad. Other things just make you swear and curse. When you're chewing on life's gristle, that grumble, give a whistle. And this'll help things turn out for the best. Aye. Always look on the bright side of life Always look on the light side of life If life seems jolly rotten There's something you've forgotten And that's to laugh and smile and dance and sing When you're feeling in the dumps be silly chumps just purse your lips and whistle that's the thing and always look on the bright side of life come on always look on the right side of life for life is quite absurd and death's the final word you must always face the curtain with a bow Forget about your scene. Give the audience a grin. Enjoy it. It's your last chance anyhow. So always look on the bright side of death. Just before you draw your terminal breath. Life's a piece of shit when you look at it. Life's a laugh and death's a joke, it's true. You'll see it's all a show, keep them laughing as you go. Just remember that the last laugh is on you. And always look on the bright side of life. Always look on the right side of life.
a muffin, you know what I say? Cheer up, you old bugger. Not like music queen. There you are. See? The end of the film. Incidentally, this record's available in the foyer. Some must quite live as well, yeah. Who do you think pays for all this rubbish? Always look on the money back, you know? Greetings, Guildies. I'm Kenny. And I'm Jenny. And we're the host of a brand new podcast, Knights of the Guild, the official fan podcast of the web series The Guild. Each month, we'll bring you the latest news about the Guild cast, including what projects they're working on and what conventions they'll be attending. Also, we'll be updating you on the current season, be it Season 2, which is currently airing on MSN Video, or Season 3, which is in the early pre-production stage. We'll talk about some behind-the-scenes fun of Season 2, as well as having cast, crew, and fan interviews. So head over to iTunes and subscribe to Knights of the Guild. Or go to our website for a direct download at knightsoftheguild.podbean.com. Zaboo! <laughs>